The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Okay, and welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I will let my guest introduce himself. Hi, I am uh, from Meyer Tech Rants. I, I have a blog spot blog, which I've recently started up and I've been posting on. I've got a Twitter and a Patreon. Um, so if you want to follow me, feel free. I've I've also started up a Discord that's currently kind of empty, so if mm-hmm. you feel like chatting with me, feel free to head on over. There's links all over. If you find me on any one of the, the platforms, I've got links to the others. So, so yeah, Meyer Tech Rants. Yeah, and your, art, your I say article, but I guess you might say blog, is called mm-hmm. Hardware Accelerated IO and Consoles Coming to PC. I just stumbled upon this. I think I actually stumbled upon this because you... Sent it to me. I did, yeah. I tweeted in response to one of your tweets, um, basically saying, I, th- I think it was your comment on um, how you think RDNA 3 could handle, like could have those SSDs yeah. on it. And I was like, I, c- I watched that video and I thought it was really interesting. Um, but I was like, I think there's a better or more likely way that we can mm-hmm. see those benefits coming to PC. So that's... Which we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. At the end of the (laughs) podcast. That was just a random idea I threw at a wall, which apparently was really interesting to people. Oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I do recommend, and it'll be in the description of this podcast, that people read your blog spot pretty quickly. You know, before I invited you on, I read it and I was like, ah, there's a lot of good points here. And I sent it to like uh, my technical editor and then someone else. And they're like, yeah, this is all solid. You know, so you passed cool. several sniff tests before I reached out to you, but great. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you did send it to me because I really, really do. I've been wanting to do an episode just about solid state drives, whether it's with a total expert or not, just a conversation about why this is probably the biggest change coming in this next generation of consoles and eventually PC gaming that I think, mm-hmm. well, actually I have an opening statement before we get into the meat of the podcast that I prepared here. So let me just read this. So the reason I put this podcast together is to attempt to make things clear that I keep seeing in the comments that people just aren't seeming to absorb as a fact. The first thing is your old PC is not going to be able to just do the same things as these next-gen consoles, especially compared to last-gen. Last-gen was kind of a unique generation in how it was just a budget PC. This, I mean, the the comparison I would use is if someone said, I have an i3, and since PC is always the best, I'm sure those console CPUs will be weaker. My PC is going to be fine. And the fact is, no, your i3 or i5 is not magically going to grow more cores. The consoles have a stronger CPU than your i3. Sorry. And then that's what people who talk about their hard drives especially. And even their SATA SSDs sound like to me right now. This is a hardware level difference. 
that is fundamentally significantly uh, less capable. And forget which team you root for. Both Sony and Microsoft have put a lot of effort into not just having a decent SSD, but removing the bottlenecks you'd typically see in loading from or doing other things from that SSD. So that's the first thing I want to say. Second, I think devs are going to use these SSDs, guys. Right away. And the PS3, everyone forgets the the PS4 and the Xbox One were one generation, just the last one. Mm -hmm. The PS360 generation had a ton of console exclusives that took years to come to PC. Right. Some of them, like Red Dead Redemption 1, still haven't, even even though the sequel's on PC. And there may be a lot of console exclusives at the start of this gen just like before. And, and, and I see so many people saying devs are lazy, but I don't think devs are just lazy. They want to make games. They want to make the games they want to make. And if that's only on the consoles or one of the consoles, there, there are going to be some devs that just say, fine, we'll make it on PlayStation or whatever. And third and finally, <laughs> for, for the same reasons I just said that both consoles have some things your old PC doesn't, the Xbox and the PlayStation do not have the same SSDs. They clearly have different SSDs with different intended, that's a, an important word, intended capabilities. The Xbox, for instance, is just not going to magically have, make up for having half the bandwidth, half the host controllers, the same way an i3 is not going to grow more cores. However, the Xbox does clearly have its own customizations meant to facilitate its own specific uses. But I don't want to get ahead of myself anymore. I'm done with my spiel. I just have to get that out there. That's the point of this episode. And all those things I think are completely true and and people are just ignoring it we'll talk about all of those over the course of the podcast i think yeah there's there's a lot of points with all of those like the first of all you're the first one you brought up um it's not just about your budget pc yeah um i would i would go so far as to say that right now there is no gaming pc um that would be capable of running games designed for the next generation consoles yeah doesn't exist right now um, I, I, I think that's definitely possible. Um, let's save that a little bit. I actually want to start now going back then. Okay. So yeah. who are you? Tell people who you are. What's your background? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm Canadian. I'm, mm. uh, I grew up on mostly console games. I was introduced to PC in university, actually. Um, well, actually I had PC games. I did some like cheap online i played runescape back in the day and like ebony (laughs) god that was a terrible game but i I played the hell out of it for a while but it was mostly console gaming until i got to university and had a friends group and they're all like Mm -hmm. oh man pcs pcs i'm like oh this sounds interesting so i built my pc around that time it was uh, that was 2012. Yep. So that that had a Sandy Bridge 3570K, and that was was it Sandy or Ivy Bridge? Sorry, Ivy Bridge. Yeah. I remember because I did read your bio. Yeah. Your your, yeah. your your backstory seems to almost entirely mirror mine. But yeah, go on, continue. That's hilarious. Yeah, and then over the course, I uh, just got more and more into PC gaming. I still have like I have a PlayStation Four Pro, mm-hmm. but I never actually owned a PlayStation Four before the PlayStation Four Pro. I bought mm. the PlayStation Pro even after it had dropped in price a bit. Um, 
So I actually bought it originally for... To catch up on those exclusives or something. Spyro Reignited was, nah. was the game that it was like, oh, Spyro... <laughs> like, because I played the hell out of, like, Spyro 2 Ripto's Rage particularly. I've played it over a dozen times. So I was like, oh, man, this is coming... Like, it's coming first to PlayStation 4. And plus, there's a bunch of other exclusives mm. that I want to play. So I started with... Uh, I, I got that, got Spyro, played the hell out of it, and then just kind of have continued into a bunch of the other exclusives on there. And even um, one game, I chose to play Assassin's Creed on PlayStation 4 instead of PC, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Over the generation, I sometimes choose Assassin's Creed for PlayStation over PC, just because not all of them, some, so I like Assassin's Creed 3, I thought ran all right on my PC, but a lot of uh, Ubisoft games just run better on consoles, unfortunately. Yeah. Plus, like, to me, there's kind of, like, where I have the gaming set up. So on PC, like, I'm I'm in my office. I've mm. got, you know, my chair and my desk and, and all of that. And that's sort of the setting. But some games, if I'm playing with controller, I like to sort of lounge back on the couch. And mm -hmm. it's just more comfortable. And, well, there's definitely the argument to be made. Oh, well, you could do that on PC, too. Yeah. You just have a PC in your living room. And I actually do have a laptop with a 1070 and a 8th mm -hmm. uh, Gen i7 with six cores in, in okay. the living room <laughs> that's perfectly capable of playing any of those games. Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of... I, I guess in the living room setting, consoles just kind of offer a more streamlined experience than PC does. And yeah, I could do it on PC on that laptop, but it'd just be, you know, a little bit more of a pain in the ass. And Well, I, I have a lot more to say about PC versus console gaming later, I think. But I think let's get For back sure. to <laughs> you predominantly game on PC, though, ever since yeah, you I built do. yours. Yeah. And I also had an Ivy Bridge i5, by the way. And I think I, I gamed on PC a decent amount in addition to console, but I'd say right before I built my Ivy Bridge desktop, I was overwhelmingly a console gamer back then. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that generation went on for a decade, like for way too long. I mean, if you boot up the old 360 or PS, especially the PS3, it just did not age well in terms of navigating that menu. And back then, you know, PC was super, super simple too. Like it was, everything was on Steam. Everything booted quickly if you had an SSD. Um, yeah. Actually, let, let's bring it back to that then. What was the first SSD you ever owned? So when I first built that PC back in 2012, I did not have an SSD in there. I, Me neither, I have, yeah. I, I, I put in a one terabyte Western Digital Black, which I actually still have to this day. I think that hard drive is the only component that mm -hmm. I still have from that original build. Um, but the first... It was maybe a couple years later, I picked up a 120 gigabyte Kingston SSD that was crap as mm -hmm. far as SSDs go. But it was an SSD and it, you know, I could put some games on it. I was like, wow, this is so much faster. Yeah. Um, you know, 1.4, 1.5 times the loading speed that it actually got in games and stuff. But it was a substantial improvement. There's a lot to be said, too. I mean, my first SSD, I, I forgot if it was 2014, 13. It was a Samsung one. My parents went halvesies with me because of how often I drove up north with my desktop for college. And those are mm. bumpy back roads up at Michigan Tech. 
And so that's not that's not good for hard drives. No, and so I would get <laughs> home and then I'd have to like check its information and it'd take an hour. And once I got that SSD, that completely went away and I mean yeah, that was mm-hmm. like $350 for like half a terabyte. It was absolutely ridiculous wow. how expensive they were. I spent over a hundred bucks on my uh, 120 gigabyte SSD. But there was so much that was faster that wasn't just load times. It, it, it's something mm-hmm. where I remember, especially back then, so many people were like fighting you in the forums about paying extra for an SSD to boot from. And it was just so hard to argue with them and just be like, no, you don't get it. It's not just the load times. It's just like everything seems to work better. Everything does. Honestly, I've been recommending SSDs over uh, hard drives basically just because it's the one improvement to your system you can make if you have a hard drive. Um, that It just speeds everything up. The, the overall experience on the system is just, every, it's snappier, it's smoother. Mm-hmm. Everything is improved. Well, and you know, sure. it's to the point where bugs tend to happen less often. and Like there's just less yeah. to go wrong. Like <clears throat> a note I have here, uh, have you ever put an SSD in a console? I never did, actually. I thought about it. Um, I think it just comes down to the amount that I actually use the PlayStation mm-hmm. and the cost. Like, yeah, SSDs are cheap enough that I could, but then I'd have to move all the games over. And it's just yeah. like, I know people that have and they get, you know, some performance benefit from it. And that's great. So, like, I'm not judging anyone that has. It's, it's not a bad idea. Um, I just haven't no yeah i just bring it up because it's something that has always been an option and and, and there's a difference between having an external one to install games and literally like Mm -hmm. well even the ps3 you could use an ssd it's the internal drive so you actually get a thumb drive and install the os on it much like windows and i remember paying just to i'm bringing this up to level set how far we've come in 2009 I think I was like in high school and I saved up a whole summer for a hard drive to go in my PS3. And it was like hmm. it was like $200 for 320 gigabytes. Wow. But it was a 7200 RPM and so in Battlefield games I could get to the helicopter 3 seconds before everyone else online so it was just entirely <laughs> worth it to me and and I know right. my pro has an SSD just cuz they're like 80 bucks for a terabyte now. And um, the thing is, even before now, like I remember Skyrim, a note I have here just didn't work on PS3 (laughs) and they just never fixed it because inherently in the engine, I think the issue was the game file just kept getting bigger and eventually your file would corrupt and break on Skyrim. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I know about it because I used to game on PlayStation a lot, but I never played Skyrim on PlayStation to be clear. I have always played Fallout and Bethesda games on PC because I'm not a crazy person. Um, yeah. I don't know why anyone plays those open world games on console, but I know some people did. And I remember just them saying, uh, like that coming out as like kind of a scandal that, that didn't seem to work well on PlayStation. And then the devs coming out and saying, yeah, it doesn't work and it's in the game engine. So we're not going to be able to patch it. <laughs> and huh. the funny thing is though, if you put an SSD and they found this out at the end of the generation, because no one was paying, you know, a thousand dollars for SSDs back then, right? that that issue wasn't an issue anymore. And in fact, then the PS3 <laughs> version would have a higher frame rate too. <laughs> so what? yeah, I know. So there's been weird things with, uh, I mean, GTA five is another one I can think of. I know that if you got the downloadable version of 
GTA 5 for PS3 and probably for Xbox 360 as well, actually, that you would have issues if it was just the downloadable version because the disc version would install like, you know, 20 gigabytes on the console. And then it would also load assets from the disc and the hard drive at the same time to get that extra like 20, 40 megabytes per second from the Blu-ray at the same time. So if you had the downloadable version, you effectively had half the bandwidth unless it was an SSD. And so there'd be massive pop-in issues on the downloadable version. And I think these are important examples (sighs) to bring up because devs have been doing hilarious tweaks with our storage and consoles just to get that extra 10% performance yeah. I mean, all last, last gen. Like, so this is not new that they put in that. I mean, I mean, think of the GTA example. They literally put in that effort to load, to half load from the disc and the hard drive at the same time, just so they could, you know, try to cut down on loading by 20% or something. It, it's so right. to say they're not going to put in that much effort this gen to me is hilarious. I mean, the other point is um, both Sony and Microsoft went around when they were trying to figure out what they, what they were going to do with this generation. They went around to devs and they asked, what features do you want? Exactly. Fe- like, and overwhelmingly, like every single dev, top of their list, we need an SSD. We need an SSD. We need an SSD. Mm-hmm. So like, you don't get that much push from the industry for a feature for them to not yeah immediately jump on it well and if you watch and this this will be in the description for everyone too my you know rdna 256 gigabyte hype video if you actually watch that i a big part of it is i discovered this old tom's hardware article from 2016 where they're talking about the radeon pro ssg and so that's a that's a that's like a fifteen thousand dollar graphics card that has two tears. I actually remember reading about that card when it came yeah, out. Yeah, because it was insane. This is a professional yeah. card with like a terabyte of storage on it. Honestly, a controller that sounds fairly similar to the PS5s. And back then, if you read the interview with AMD, it reads like the Mark Cerny press conference. They were talking about developers want SSDs on everything. It makes things mm-hmm. easier. And every developer I've talked to recently. Even there's been some really young ones in my Discord. Like they just got into the gaming industry and they said getting out of like, you know, computer science classes, they're like, wait, why haven't we thrown away hard drives 10 years ago? Everything we're doing right now seems to be built around making up for still using hard drives. Like if you're a young developer, it sounds like they don't even, they like literally are telling their bosses, I don't want to even bother like with this crap. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard drives are. There's so many limitations because you're accessing the physical part on the disc Mm -hmm. and you have to spin the disc and move the arm to get it to that spot. And the larger the (laughs) gap between them, the longer it takes. Yeah, it's basically a record. Like, it's so, so old. Mm -hmm. Whereas an SSD, like, SSDs have a bunch of different cells. So you can, SSDs actually intentionally randomize the data across all of the cells so if, if you developed say say you developed a game for the the um ps4 um ps4 is using a hard drive yep. you're optimizing for a hard drive even if someone throws in a solid state in there you're still optimizing for a hard drive because that's what most people with ps4 have. yeah 99.9 repeating have that yeah oh yeah like so it takes so long to move everything to get to the next piece of data you have to make sure that wherever you are in the game, anything that you might be loading at any point needs to be 
within physical proximity on the disc. Yes. How would you summarize your article then? Is there anything we haven't talked about just now that you want to get into before we start kind of going through some of its points beat for beat? Um, a general summary of the article is basically people don't understand where uh, the bottleneck is. Like, yes, hard drives are super, super slow and solid state drives are a lot faster, but people don't understand that. It's not just like, speed, too. I've talked to a lot of people about this. And a lot of them, like their initial response is like, oh, I don't really actually care that much about loading times. Ugh. Not about loading times. Yeah. There's so much more that the storage does. Yeah. It's not just time spent staring at a loading screen. No, and, and I'm going to start getting to some reader mails here randomly. And for those who, and by the way, I just want to say to the fans, we got <laughs> a lot of reader mails for this one. So cool. I'm going to get through as many as I can. And the ones I don't are put into the mailbag for later episodes. And uh, even ones for the contact I have, which we'll get into with a few of these. He did have time. For those who don't, I have a contact who designs SSD controllers. He's the one who got me the PS5 info really early, at least regarding the SSD. He doesn't actually work for Sony guys, so he doesn't have a vested interest, but he works with people who did. So that's where that's coming mm. from. But anyways, Bollocks writes him and he says, are you glad something other than the same tired old 20 plus year of general data compression faces are getting a spot in the sun with a PS5? I sure am. And I bring up this reader mail because if I speak to a developer, whether it's Xbox or PlayStation, by the way, or, or third party, they're excited about the SSD more than anything else. And it's, I guess I bring this up because it sounds like you are too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited about the SSD. Yeah. And so let's get into, I'm going to start quoting things from your article. So you said, I want to start the disconnect a little more. You And I'm quoting, you know, 10x to 100x the read and write speeds is seen on the spinning rust hard drives of old. However, the real world performance improvement we're going to see from SSDs over their hard drive counterparts is nowhere near expected. And I guess I guess we we just touched on that too. That mm -hmm. it's not because I think I think specifically what I want to talk about on this point is I think people are getting hung up on the idea that like so a typical hard drive is like fifty megabytes per second. A SATA SSD is like five hundred. So they're like, yeah. So I don't really care that things will load ten times faster. Although on my PC right now, it's not loading ten times faster. It's, you know, loading twice as fast or three times mm -hmm. as fast at most. And it's because there's a lot more that goes into loading than just the megabytes per second, right? I mean, there's also the issue of IOPS. Mm -hmm. So I, one of the big points I actually outline in my article is people are like, oh, it's not about the megabytes at all. It's entirely about the IOPS, which is like as wrong in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. But 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 with hard drives, it, it really is the well, why IOPS. is that wrong? Because I've heard a lot of people say that. Um, so basically, it's kind of right, because the main limitation um, of hard drives is the IOPS. Like, uh, ah, I see. Literally a hard drive, not a solid state drive. Right. Uh, a hard drive will peak at 100 IOPS. Mm-hmm. That's so, so insanely Yeah, compared small. to like 750,000 in my SSD. Yeah, so like a SATA SSD will do 90,000. That's that's a thousand times faster Yeah. Um, in old SSD tech. 
So, like, yes, the reason hard drives perform, like, even that 50 megabyte um, figure on hard drives, hard drives will often not get anywhere close to that figure while loading, depending on where data is. So you can optimize it so you get more IOPS. That IOPS on hard drives, basically the limitation is the fact that for each random I.O. operation, you have to spin around everything and move move stuff, so it's, it's really difficult. Um, but on SSD, that bottleneck is almost entirely removed. That's why, basically my point there, the reason IOPS isn't, the evidence for IOPS not being the, the giant bottleneck on SSD is the fact that you can take a SATA SSD and an NVMe SSD, the mm-hmm. SATA SSD that has 90,000 IOPS, and the NVMe SSD, PCI4, with 750,000 IOPS, and the gaming loading performance is about the same. Mm-hmm. So clearly that's not the bottleneck. Yeah. And for people to have an example here, uh, Paul Mustin writes in and he says, I worked on big iron flight simulators in the early mid 1980s. And our architecture, we had a scenario processor that would load the appropriate level of detail of terrain, features, trees, and vehicles from hard disk and pass them into the picture processors, GPU, that's what we called them, which was 50 times four-board bit slice computers. We could predict for many simulated aircraft what would be required to load from disk to the scene soonest, depending on how fast the aircraft went. Seek settle latency times were the physical limits of our loading performance. To reduce the impact of those constraints, I wrote software to optimize the disk sector so that models and terrain that would geographically close were literally close on disk. The way we would install the game literally looked like a map of the open world because we had to put different buildings that were physically close to each other in the game, literally next to each other on the disk, and we'd have to duplicate files, making the install size twice as big. So that's a good example right there. Yeah, that's that's basically just what we were just talking about. Be, um, organizing the data like that optimizes the IOPS, it, b- because moving from one piece of data to the next, and, and it's it goes a little bit more than that. It's not just... Um, putting everything close together, you also want to like organize your requests mm-hmm. so that you're you're going like this with with the disk and not like that. Oh, he was ju- you were just holding up your hand, and it's like if you can think about oh, your yeah, hand right, is yeah. if you can think about your hand as the needle on a hard drive. You're saying yeah. like you want to like kind of like vibrate your hand. That's what you want the thing to be doing, like shaking your hand right next to each other. You don't want it like waving back and forth like a metronome yeah. all so over the disk. You 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 want you want the data to be accessed physically off the disk, mm-hmm. like sequentially as as much as possible. So you kind of order your requests. Um, the, the the other thing is, as as he mentioned, yeah. So um, you might have one object that mm-hmm. appears many times in the world, right? Um, but since since you have to map out that world physically onto the disk, if if it's occurring many times in the world, it occurs many times on the disk. Yes. So there's a lot of duplication. What, what he described there was um, very much the same thing. One of the things that uh, Mark Cerny talked about in the PS5 uh, conference with with the mailboxes in Spider-Man. Oh. <laughs> and, and how it will appear over 400 times in game data. That's, that's not an outlier. That happens all the time. So with the next-gen consoles, we can actually see 
Well, I mean, on, on one hand, we're going to see a reduction in install size because there's no need for that duplication on SSD at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then on the other hand, you're going to get a lot more detailed textures, which are going to increase that again. Because you only need one of them now. Right. Um, or at least not 400. <laughs> right. But, but then the other thing is there's um, a lot more advanced decompression, compression and decompression. Mm-hmm. Um, so PS5 is using uh, something called Kraken. Right. Um, and Xbox Series X is using something called BC Pack, mm-hmm. um, which is very specialized for uh, particularly textures. So, so it's like we might see uh, games kind of having about the same size. They can fit onto the same Blu-ray advanced disc. Yes. And they might take the same amount of space on the storage in the consoles, but the amount of information there will be a lot more. Well, and I mean, a good example is Titanfall, right? I remember Titanfall on PC had like a 75 gigabyte install size. And I don't remember if it was the first or the second one. It may have been the second one. I don't know. But and that's not a giant game, you know. We're not talking about Red Dead yeah. Redemption here, which okay. I think we can understand why Red Dead Redemption is a hundred gigabytes in size. But Titanfall yeah. was three fourths that, and that's a linear game. The HDR version of Final Fantasy fifteen, mm-hmm. hundred and fifty five gigabytes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and there's a reason for that. I mean, basically everything, everything's still designed around hard drives. It's, and it's funny you mentioned Mark Cerny, and I'm going to just throw this out there as a trigger warning for Xbox fanboys. We're going to mention Mark Cerny a lot, and that's because some of the contacts I reached out to as I prepared the notes for this discussion, sometimes literally their answer to a question I have was just watch the Cerny thing again. Because yeah. there is a lot you miss in just watching it in one pass. And yeah, I rewatched sure. a specific timestamp I was sent, which will be in the description, where it's like you literally see how the everything, like I've said, like we've said, is designed around either a hard drive or a solid stage drive. That's because if you write it around a hard drive, it takes up more space and it's less efficient than if it's on an SSD, but it hurts the experience of the SSD much less than if you were to design for an SSD. I mean, I suppose maybe if they design a game for an SSD, it'll still work on a hard drive, but it's now going to go from like one minute load times to 20 minute potentially. And and, and I just don't think they're going to ship games like that. I think, and that's where we're starting to get into even more of a meteor part of the discussion, which is it's just going to be a, a, a switch flipping for some devs. They're going to stop designing for hard drives. And once they do, it's over. Right. So w- w- what's going to happen when, once we see devs, even even on PC, like ignore all of the hardware acceleration that, that we're seeing on next right. generation consoles. Say a dev on PC, making a game just for PC, decides, you know what, I'm building this engine from scratch. I'm going to build my own pipeline. Um, I'm not going to make any consideration nope. for hard drives. Yeah. I'm going to assume everyone is running solid state drives. For, first of all, smaller um, smaller size on disk because you're not duplicating all that crap. Mm-hmm. But, but also um, the experience from a player perspective, if they try to run that game off of a hard drive, isn't just going to be massively increased mm-hmm. uh, loading times. It, you, you're also going to be moving through the world and the speed at which you're moving through the world, you're going to find you're going to be running into unloaded textures. 
um, things popping <laughs> in and out. It's, it's just going to be a horrible, jarring garbage experience. Yeah. I mean, I know, I remember Digital Foundry in one of their early PlayStation 5 videos was talking about how you can upgrade its SSD, but that they didn't necessarily say there'll be a test. Now, I think there will be. I think there's going to be some kind of test in the PS5 that runs a quick gut check, like, is this even anywhere near fast enough to install a game on it? But I, but it, right. it will be funny if it doesn't, because if you can put it in some... kind of funny. If you could put in some, like, you know... I know they make them technically, like, these, like, one-inch... M.2 hard drives. You could put that in a PS5 and just see what happens when you try to load a game from it. it it'll be really funny from an academic point of view. But I, I guess now something I want to touch on is the lowest common denominator argument. Yeah. Because this is, let me see here. I'll get to a reader mail then. So Zachary Scholl writes and he says, how will bandwidth discrepancies Xbox, PlayStation, and PC affects studios programming for the games. Will studios develop games using the slowest common denominator? If so, will faster SSD make a huge difference in playability? And before you give your answer, I just want to say this. The PlayStation 5's not going to cost more than 500 bucks, guys. That's the lowest common denominator now. Like, everyone's... Yeah. Say, you know what I mean? Like, because like, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, well, what's the excuse? This is a $500 console. Yeah. Um... And yes, so, so absolutely. The lowest common den denominator issue means, yeah, so gamers are going, or video game developers are going to pick their target. So like, what do we want this game to run on? And with the next generation, honestly, it, it might take a little bit of time, first of all, because um, even six months after the next mm -hmm. gen consoles have come out, the, the, the lowest common denominator uh, largely because of availability and how, how long it takes mm -hmm. for people to buy things up is still going to be the current generation consoles. So I, I um, know, I do think there will be a one year transition period. Yeah. So like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, for example, yes. is going to run fine on your gaming PC. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. um, yes. It's going to be on the next generation consoles too, but um, like it'll be fine. Don't, but, but, but as it progresses, basically once they drop, uh, support for the previous gen consoles, what's now the current gen consoles. Which I think is um, by the end of 2021. I think that's when they're going to stop yeah. pairing. Yeah, I agree. That that's. Um, I mean, their CPUs uh, are just yeah. too weak, but sorry, go on. The devs are going to pick a target um, and honestly, PCs are probably going to fall, fall to the wayside a little bit just mm -hmm. because of how advanced the next-gen consoles are. Not just because of how advanced the next-gen consoles are, but how easy it is to make yes. use of that storage. Like Mark Cerny even says, he's like, you don't have to worry about decompression. You don't have to worry about the hardware mm -hmm. Excel. You don't have to worry. All you have to do as a developer is say, I want this piece of data, and then you get that piece of data instantly. Yes, and and that's something I think people don't take to heart as authentic, the listening to developer slide they put up. This yeah. is what the developers want, and, and this is going to go for both PlayStation and Xbox now, what I'm about to say. like The idea that they're just going to ignore the features in the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox, to me, is hilarious. Like They're, of course, going to make full use of the PlayStation 5's SSD, full mm -hmm. use of the Xbox's. I mean, high, uh, high compute unit count and everything else it has uniquely. Like the, They're not going to ignore the performance of either console, and it's not hard to make good use of it. Like They go out of their way, both of them, to talk about how 
they learned their lesson, frankly, from the PS360 gen, that if it's not easy to program for, if the unique capabilities you have aren't easy to take control of, they're not going to use it. Both, both consoles are substantially easier to program for than any previous generation. They're going right. to maximize the Xbox and the PlayStation 5. I'm not at all worried about that. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure two years after launch, every game we see, they're making the best use of the Xbox and the PlayStation. And, and that's kind of, it ties into a big misconception. Like, a, a lot of people are like, oh, are they going to make use of it? it? It's actually more work to not make use yeah. of it. People don't get that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I just think I keep seeing this thing like devs are lazy. They're, they're really not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of this in the PC master race mentality comes from like when you get bad console ports and all of that. And I mean, the bad console port era, all of that came from um, just how much more, frankly, how much more powerful the PS360 CPUs were or, and then they had to like maximize for basically no RAM. (laughs) Like that's just not an issue anymore. And I think people still point to games like Red Dead Redemption 2 and go, ah, see, it's unoptimized. And I'm like, when I look at the benchmarks, the RX 570 on PC seems to perform maybe a little worse than the PS4 Pro and Red Dead Redemption 2, but the PS4 Pro's actually has like more asynchronous compute units and all this other stuff. So there's a reason. I'm not seeing this disconnect. Like the reason Red Dead Redemption 2 is so hard to run is because it's it's just a hard-to-run engine. Like, it's a big yeah. open-world game. I know it doesn't run at as high a frame rate as The Witcher 3, but that's because way more is going on in the background. Like, right. if you go into dead-eye mode, you can see, like, a hundred animals running around in the grass. They're actually rendering that, guys. That's why it's a hard-to-run game. Right. But yeah, so I, I just... You're just going to need an SSD. I don't know how soon you'll need the fastest ones or whatever, but you're going to need one, and I don't think that's asking that much. I think, yes, you'll get to use hard drives into early 2021, but I, they just they want to stop using them. And I even saw re-watching some of the Cerny presentation recently that they said you could install your games on an external hard drive or USB and then reinstall it on the PlayStation 5 solid-state drive when you want to play it. So you don't even need to re-download the game. And the same is going on for Xbox. The same is mm-hmm. true on PC. It's like $50 for a half, <laughs> a half terabyte SSD right now. They're asking yeah. you to just have a $50 boot drive and then you can install, you can back up your game to a hard drive and reinstall it whenever you want. And that's all devs are asking from you. That's the lowest common denominator. A $50 solid state drive, guys. That's, I don't think that's that high of a bar to clear. SSD technology now is just so cheap. It's, there's no reason not to. Totally agreed. But so let us move on then So I have another quote from your uh, blog spot, and it says, it's worth noting that the Xbox Series X has also been confirmed to have hardware accelerated pipeline just on a slower compared to the PlayStation 5, 2.4 gigabytes per second, and a pipeline that's designed more specifically for textures rather than general purpose. So there's two things I want to start getting into. Number one is the bottlenecks outside that might be preventing loading linearly with gigabytes per second, which I think you touched on. Part of it's like the fact that they're basically programming for 100 IOPS, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, are there any other things that come to mind for bottlenecking? Because like, again, like we've said, SSDs basically load twice as fast as a hard drive now, not 10 times faster. Right. 
So, so going back to the Mark Cerny talk, I mean, there's check-in and load management. Mm-hmm. There is an entire processor on the PlayStation 5 dedicated to that that he says is equivalent to one to two Zen cores alone. No, he says nine. Oh, okay. So nine, that's the Kraken decompressor. Right. Oh, so then there's another and one you're saying. <laughs> that, that's the Kraken decompressor alone. Mm-hmm. And then there's more. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so the, the check-in and load management, that's basically just um, make a request to storage, get it into RAM. You need to check it in, make some small changes to that, and then mm-hmm. move it to its final resting place. That process takes an entire core or mm-hmm. more. Yeah. Um, so, so they have, that's part of the hardware accelerated pipeline. They, they have a core dedicated that's not a Zen 2 core. It's not one of the, the eight right. core. It's, that's what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also mapping and coherency. So coherency is you have to make sure um, that the, the, the biggest issue is that the cache in the GPU doesn't go stale. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, so you want the GPU to constantly be filled with um, the most relevant data. The, the cache is like a quick access right. memory, effectively. So you want that to be filled with data that it's using all the time. Kind of like sticky notes on your monitor, right? Like the things yeah, you're always yeah. remembering that on a bigger cache is you can have more things you can reference quickly. Right. And and that just increases the performance of the GPU. Then it's d- making less calls to mm-hmm. memory. Because each call, um, right, is, and I know it's nano nanoseconds, but each call is time, is yeah, hindering time. a frame being rendered. So, so yeah, it's like, okay, you're, you're looking at nanoseconds, but how many billions of those mm-hmm. are you doing? Like, <laughs> it, it adds up. Yeah, and so I know, like, and, and another thing I was pointed to right before this from my contact is the six-tiered loading, um, which I, frankly starts to get above yeah. my head to what I understand, right? But the example Cerny gave was you shoot a guy while you're loading a texture, the guy has to say, you killed me before he hits the ground. Right. And the thing is, normally on an SSD, it's just like a straight line. Like, you're just throwing crap at it. Frankly, like, mm-hmm. processors used to work on Windows. <laughs> like, why, that's why single cores were so important back then. And what the six-tiered approach allows is almost like a... It's not hyper-threading, but it's kind of like that, where it's like, we can take in different types of information and organize it more... It's it's about right. prioritization. Yeah. Um, basically, if so, so, the issue if you you have this big background text, uh, this big background task, and you're loading in this huge chunk of something, you don't want that to get in the way and prevent you from loading something that the user is about to experience right away. Yes. Right. And so. I know what we know about the PlayStation 5 is that they have a six-tiered approach to doing that. Mm-hmm. And I've been yeah. told that that's actually one of the biggest deals about it that's not on PC right now. I yeah. mean, so, and, and there's, hey. a, there's a slide you show in your blog where it's like the, the gap between two times loading speed and 100. It's all of these different things, right, so yeah. that we can make full use of the bandwidth. Yeah, the PCs have, on the, PC, or on the NVMe spec, I think it's two tiers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I okay. mean, it, okay. it's, it's not—it's not like it's going to get totally hung up on something on the background, um, but it's just there's a lot less 
playroom. So you could have something loading in the background and something uh, more urgent, or if you need two things urgent, now mm-hmm. the loading background stuff, that's that's kind of halted right now because it fell off the map because it's not high enough priority. And, and I, like, it'll get to it, but... I'm glad you mentioned the two tiers is what's standard on PC now because, yeah. you know, Cerny was a little... <laughs> a little like uh, cagey about what SSDs you'll be able to put in the PS5 because they almost made theirs too good <laughs> to be able to upgrade exactly. it. Exactly. And and that's why he's I just want to put this out there to people. When you see, oh, so a seven gigabyte per second drive, you know, is more than an, is better than what's in the PlayStation 5. No, I think they think that's just barely enough to keep up because. It's seven yeah. gigabytes per second of uncompressed data. So that uncompressed is always way more, I shouldn't say more efficient, but is much. it's like much better than compressed data because some data can't be compressed. So effectively, it's mm-hmm. it might catch up to that like nine gigabytes per second you're seeing of the compressed theoretical rate in the PlayStation 5. But additionally, they're saying seven gigabytes per second with two tiers may get close to our 5.5 gigabytes per second with, Six tiers is basically what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the five point five gigabyte per section per uh, per second was intentionally selected, not as a limitation of what their controller is mm. capable of, but they were like, "Well, you know, we've got all of these levels of prioritization. We have this uh, twelve channel um, uh, NAND. Yeah. So, so, so we could get." you know, easily, easily seven seven gigabytes per second, but but then no other SSD would work. Right. Um, so I, I think that 5.5 gigabytes isn't a limitation of what they're capable of. I think that's them artificially limiting themselves so that they can still allow for expansion without having to sell um, specialized... Yeah, like, they don't want to pull so, another PlayStation Vita. <laughs> or... or, or Exactly what Microsoft's doing. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that pans out, <laughs> I guess. But I think th- I think there are a few things going on here. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about cooling the PlayStation Five. It is running at 2.2 gigahertz, so obviously that's part of it. But one thing I've heard mm-hmm. consistently is the SSD requires more cooling than a normal SSD, even a normal Gen Four, because it really is right quite fast. So I think part of the reason they have 12 channels clocked lower, right? Because again. Most SSDs, I believe, are eight channels. So everyone needs to understand this has 50% more channels, and yet it's barely fast, like 10% faster than my drive. Most consumer SSDs have four channels. Oh, okay. The the high-end NVMe SSDs have eight channels. Okay, so yeah, so when you see 12 channels and it's 10% faster... Well, yeah. a little more than 10% faster, at least in gigabytes per second, uncompressed compared to my Gen 4 SSD. I have a contact who, what my contact who designs SSDs talked about how Sony was considering, I mean, I don't know, absolutely ridiculous speeds. And he was surprised the final was only 5.5 gigabytes per second. Mm-hmm. And he thinks, what did he say? He, he, he couldn't figure out why, but I think, yeah, I think it has to do with cooling. I think you're right. I think you, they realized we don't need it to be faster than this because I know they talked about how the Kraken can handle up to 22 gigabytes per second. Yeah, 22 gigabytes, yeah. So the, the decompressor is capable of that in cases where the data happened to cr- compress extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so it's more like even, 11 or something. Yeah, you, you might even see that. Um, well, it's... 
It's more, I, I think they're expecting on average, it's closer to that eight to nine. Right. But like, depending on how well it, it compresses, it, it might, it might be quite a bit more. Yeah. Let me look at my notes here, though. So, I mean, I guess what we're kind of, I want to kind of keep getting into now is just differences between the consoles SSDs. I think we handled difference between PC and the consoles. Um, you talked about how the SSD in the PlayStation 5 seems much more general purpose. And I think we both agree that the Xbox has some customizations for swapping textures quickly. I don't know. I guess let's start with the Xbox then. What what do you have to say about any customizations in the Xboxes we've? And I guess let me just round out this too to keep in the back of people's minds. Like we know the consoles of eight core processors. We know that the PlayStation Five is a crack, and that's equivalent to nine Zen two cores, and then another one or two cores and additional co-processors. And that is for like the dual host. Like they want to be able to send two data streams at the same time on the PlayStation SSD. Now I also know that the Xbox has a co-processor that's the equivalent of five Zen cores. So even that. Yeah. I mean, to keep up with the Xbox, you probably need a 3900X. I mean, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, so on the Xbox, uh, admittedly, Microsoft is being a lot more cagey about mm -hmm. um, their their compression. They haven't. They're they're not ready to to talk a lot about. They've sent. They've they've given more data to you know partners, people that are you know, building games on it. Um, but the information that we have is, uh, I, I found a Twitter thread um, between a guy named James Stannard and uh, Richard Geldreich. And it's basically, he's trying to get the guy to, to open up, like get more information yeah. out of it. Um, and basically all we've got is uh, Microsoft spent years specifically designing for textures okay because um like there's there's a lot of things that you want to stream in and out there's um like you need to get like the model shapes you need to get um you know sound you need to get audio mm -hmm. you need to get text you need to get um mocap you need to get like all of this shit um but but textures is the one in particular that is the most demanding. Mm -hmm. And Microsoft realized this. And so they just went, you know what, we're going to um, just put all of our effort into textures. Because if we can get textures to mm -hmm. be insanely fast, then the other stuff not being as fast doesn't matter as much because they've eliminated the biggest bottleneck. Well, not eliminated, but... Um, so what they're saying, well, there's is, always bottlenecks, but this is something yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, the Xbox is, it's called BC pack. So right. block compressed pack. Um, it's, it's basically further on, on, it's a type of block compression. Mm -hmm. So, um, they have, they're saying the the level of compression is maybe as much as 30% better with that then mm -hmm. kraken does on text ah okay see that's a number i haven't yeah. found yet okay yeah 20 to 30 percent they're saying so that, that that doesn't mean the xbox has faster storage it no of course not for textures the rate of compression is more specialized mm -hmm. i think it's a good solution that's gonna result in a lot of positive um, performance. Right. And that's what I want to talk about. Like, cause I think I, I, people get so 
hung up. And you see this in the PC world with NVIDIA versus AMD but mm-hmm. and Intel, uh, but especially in the console world. It's actually, no. <laughs> it's like they always get hung up on comparing the consoles. And it's much mm-hmm. more interesting to look at the consoles individually for what their intended design goals were. And it's clear yeah. the Xbox, and, and I bring this up because I think it's so funny. Everyone keeps talking about the PlayStation and load times, which it, we'll get to that. But the yeah. Xbox thought of it more from a PC mentality. And it's like, what bottlenecks do PCs have in loading and swapping textures? And that's what, forget the PlayStation. We're not talking about the PlayStation. Xbox yeah. on their own designed this SSD to, to load like a top end solid state drive, despite costing less to make. And BC right. Pack's part of that, right? Yeah. But so I don't know what else to really say about BC Pack because I see it is one of those things I've seen some Xbox fanboys really latch on to <laughs> as like yeah. something it's not it's not going to make it this is a loaded term better than the PlayStation's SSD. They're different SSDs, so same betters almost kind of disingenuous, but it is there so that if you look at I guess the way I would put it is I really do think the Xbox SSD after further reflection is going to be like compressed data 4.8 gigabytes per second at 30% for loading it will be specifically for loading specific type like traditional games who knows what we'll be able to make with in the future but for traditional games it should load things like the top 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 end gen 4 SSD or better Right, that's what it's built to do. When don't you think? And BC Pack's a bit guarded, so it's hard to say for sure. Like I can't get anyone to say much more than that. I mean, I, I think what's going to happen. Um, I, I think a lot of this tech is eventually going to come over to PC, and then Xbox is going to be a little bit behind. But um, for now, w- with that, with BC Pack compression, yeah, I think it's going to. I think it's going to perform as well as um, any. Any PC, yeah. yeah, because of these customizations. And I also think that the BC packs also because, and this is something some people gloss over, but the fact that the Xbox has two memory segments, um, which I know the initial dev kits, I know they had 22 gigabytes of RAM. I know that six gigabyte segment was initially planned to be 12, but I think they want to keep this a $500 console. Um, right. And so I think part of it is, like, I mean, what games, and they? I know 3.5 gigabytes is used for the OS. So that's 2.5 gigabytes for system. Guys, they're going to have to pull from that 10 gigabyte segment for, you know, the system memory for the game. There's, no, what game do you have now that only uses 2.5 gigabytes? I mean, come on. And so I yeah. think BC Pack is, you could see a situation where they make up for some of that and swapping textures in that 10 gigabyte segment too, right? Mm-hmm. I think the last thing I'll say about the Xbox SSD is it's not about being 30% faster than Kraken. It's 30% faster at the same speeds of types of loading as Kraken, right? Potentially, which we still don't know, I guess. I don't know what else. It it doesn't mean the SSD is going to perform 30% faster. It means the the decompression is Mm -hmm. like 30% more efficient at texture compression. Potentially, um, right? We still don't know. Potentially, yeah. Or at least it's 30% bigger than the numbers would suggest, better than the numbers right. would suggest. And so I think at launch, there's no way around it. The Xbox is just going to, it's going to probably look faster than the top end SSDs, possibly by a large margin if a game is built to take full advantage of it. I mean, 
Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and so I guess let's move on to the PlayStation 5. So you said you believe the PlayStation 5's SSD is meant to be much more general purpose. Could you add on to that? Mm-hmm. So, so earlier I was talking about all of the different kinds of things. Um, I, I think it just comes to when, when they were designing Kraken, um, which I, I gather it wasn't actually Sony that designed Kraken. It was another firm in Marvel. Sony kind of adopted yeah. it. Yeah, the Sony was like, okay, this is good. We want to use this. Um, it Kraken was designed for gaming, but not specifically for textures. So right. it's a similar rate of compression for audio and um, models like tries and and vertexes and mocap and and all of that other stuff that you've got to load in from um, storage. It's just good at everything. Um, Let me add on to that, too. I've been told that they are developing this controller and its SSD and a similar Kraken system for servers. So this isn't just going to go on the mm-hmm. PlayStation 5. They plan yeah. to sell this to consumers and enterprise eventually. Yeah, so um, th- that was basically my point. So, so Kraken is not specifically focused in on textures. That makes it kind of like it's not as advanced. It's not as densely compressed for mm-hmm. textures, but it'll be more densely compressed in other ways. Right. And I, I think time will tell which which is you know gonna matter more is um I, I would suspect my my personal opinion, I would I would give the compression win to uh Xbox right now. For sure. But, but that's still not taking into account like the speed of the SSD and the rest of well, the Well, and the rest it can do, improved. right? Because yeah. I think this is what's so hilarious to me. The more I look at the specs of these consoles and like get into the tech behind the SSDs, I think when Cerny gave that presentation, everyone was like, oh, all PlayStation cares about is load times. And it's like, right. no, I think that's what Microsoft cares about. Microsoft wanted to make a way where, I mean, let's face it, and that's that's one thing I'll touch on now. Like, I know Seagate makes the proprietary SSD for Xbox, and I hope they don't charge more than $100 per terabyte. I personally think that's what they'll choose the prices because I don't think they're going to gouge too much, but that thing's like 40 bucks. It's like, but yeah. but there was all of this effort put into extra decompression box and, you know, technology in the Xbox. So that $40 SSD performs like a $200 SSD. Right. And that's what yeah. Microsoft's goal was. I think there's still going to be, I mean, we've seen demos, right? There's still load screens on the next gen Xbox. The grown demos still show them, but it's going to be, it's going to be like, I, especially in later gen games, I think it's going to be like a handful of seconds as opposed to a minute with the current gen consoles. And, and that's what Microsoft's goal was. Their goal was to do that so for the $40 SSD. Sony's goal was to spend much more on the SSD and I think use it as a large pool of RAM. So for the same amount of money, it's not as good as loading textures, but it also can <laughs> go up to nine gigabytes per second. It also has multiple co-processors for moving multiple streams of data at once. It has, uh, as far as we can tell at least, at least triple the tiers of storage hierarchy. This is for being used as a pool of 800 gigabytes of RAM, if you ask me, and and much more. I mean, that's what I'm seeing here. Yeah, kind of. So, I was telling one of my friends about it. He's like, oh, we don't even need RAM anymore. I was like, okay, that's that's a big step. I mean, you're, you're going from like nine gigabytes to second, like optimal with decompression and all that to like, you know, 
448 for the gigabytes per second for for the PlayStation 5 and and even more for the biggest chunk of Xbox Series X RAM. So it's like, okay, that's that's still a huge a huge gap. Um but but yeah, so basically um it, it kind of leads into the next major benefit to using uh, an SSD over over hard drive because the, the amount of time that it takes to fetch that data from a hard drive is so high. So as you're moving mm-hmm. through a world, um, again, it's this is not about loading times. It's about streaming. Yeah, and so rendering. Most, most, yeah. Most big open world games, you know, you, you don't move a bit and then hit a loading screen and then move a bit and then hit a loading screen. The, they the used to work is, like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it used to. Um, and, and in fact, I was really surprised uh, uh, Final Fantasy VII still does no, that. No. Like each area is kind of sectioned off. And if you move from one area to the next area, it's like, oh, there's a loading screen. Oh, OK, great. Um, thanks. Thanks for that, by mm. the way. Um, but. With hard drives, what you have to do as you're streaming in that data, you have to um, anything that the player could see or interact with in the time that it takes to load that in from storage has to be in RAM now. So if it takes 30 seconds to load it in from storage and you could see it in the next 30 seconds, it's loading in now, even if you don't go and see it. And it's, it's wasting just, if, it's wasting uh, frame times. You're wasting GPU performance on this, and a lot of CPU. Yeah, um, and but the biggest thing you're wasting is RAM mm-hmm. because that's all taking up space in RAM. Yes. So like people are like, oh, the PlayStation uh, Five is only twice the RAM as the PlayStation Mm-mm. Four. Mm-mm. Oh, that's that's <laughs> a de- that's a depressing increase. Okay, but the PlayStation Four is constantly full of data um, that the player will never experience yeah. because the player could experience it, mm-hmm. and if they could experience it, then it has to be there in RAM. Otherwise. You know, depending on where they go, they could run into issues. Whereas they're talking about on the PlayStation Five, that 16 gigabytes of RAM is stuff that you are currently experiencing. Yes. yes. So, so in, in in my article, I kind of use an analogy. So, say you're driving down the road, um, you've got a car, um, and there's a house ten blocks away. Mm-hmm. Well, it's possible for you to see that house in the next thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so the living room for that house is yes. loaded, taking yep. up space in your RAM right now. Um, so, you know, and you might not go there because you, you're the player. The choice is up to you, but you might. So since you could, it's got to be there mm-hmm. in the PlayStation five. They're talking about not only is that stuff, is that living room not loaded when you're standing at the door of that house? Yeah. But as you're standing inside the living room, they will load out stuff that's behind you. Right. Because in the time it takes you to turn around, they can pull that in from storage. And and that that, is insane. And that's what makes it so hard to describe this because it sounds like science fiction, but it is a fundamental diff. It's a fundamental advantage, right? In running games that the PlayStation five will have. And I just can't, I can't, 
quantify it because we don't know until they show games. And that's why that Cerny press conference was the goddamn worst thing to show first. They should have shown the games and then explained how it works, right? Right. Because I suspect once we see games running, like I've been told the main character of Horizon 2 has more polygons than every character and asset in Horizon 1 put together. So we're talking about like a million (laughs) polygons versus I believe it was like 80,000. And I'm like, that's yeah. a PS2 to PS3 jump, guys, in yeah. polygon count. And you know, and to, and I know specifically from someone who works at Rockstar that they're talking about GTA 6 as an example, everyone. And if you're they I the, the, a lot of rumors are going around how they want to make GTA 6 either the entire US like like or at least <laughs> or at least the East Coast. So they want to put Liberty City and I don't know what the Miami one was, uh, you know, they, they want to put all of these cities. And if you think about it, you know, G like GTA five is, is really just two towns or something like it's not that honestly that, that goes beyond getting that amount of size that goes beyond compression. That's using like really advanced algorithms for um, procedural generation. Because well, it's way shrunk down, cheap. though. So it's not yeah, like... Yeah. Oh, it's, okay. So think about the size of, I think, San, it's called San Andreas in GTA Five. Mm-hmm. That's LA. So just remember that the drive to, like, North Carolina is going to be, like, just the part of the map in Red Dead Redemption 2. It's not going to be literally the drive to North. But nonetheless, this is a map that's supposedly over 10 times bigger than anything they made before. And if that's true, I mean, imagine if you get in a jet and you're flying from Miami to New York in-game, even if it's a hundred times smaller scale, Everything you're flying over in a traditional, you know, game, you'd have to be loading all those houses in case you jump out of the airplane, right? Yeah. And, and so you need a next-gen storage solution to even do that. So that's not going to be on last-gen hardware. They're worried about even putting it on PC for years, is, is, yeah. is what I've heard. I mean, talking about what sort of thing, like the benefits of this, I mean, I was playing Star Citizen the other day, Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, if if you want to talk about size of maps, I mean, they have entire spherical planets that are over a thousand kilometers in diameter, Yeah, um, and it's all city that you can fly over and and see, Um, but there's a lot of stuff like... um, I was that there's a a new city in Star Citizen. They just added it called New Babbage, and there is basically a, a hyperloop that that moves you around from one section of the city to the other. Um, but with the speed of the hyperloop, they can have you know move you through a section of city. But if you actually look at at the buildings in the background, they're they're very low quality yes. textures. Like you can't pixel peep them at all. You just kind of have to be like, oh yeah, that's 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 a thing. You know, um, sort of suspension of disbelief. Yeah, I, I believe that looks like like a thing. Um, but then it gets faster, and it actually just goes underground. So yeah. you can't see the city moving by you, and that's probably because like Star Citizen will still run off of a hard drive right now. So if if they allowed you to move over the city and experience all of that at that speed they just there'd be textures popping buildings popping in and out and and it would pull you out of that immersion mm-hmm. um lots of games you play now you uh so like 
Black Desert Online. You're you've got a horse. You're moving from one area to the other. You get into a city, and poof, all of the people appear. Yeah. Well, that's immersion breaking. It's incredible. Um, uh, another Star Citizen one. I was standing on a frozen lake, looking across it, and you could see the tiled textures. Um, having more space in um, RAM active that you could use for those bigger, more impressive textures means you can have a lot, a lot less reused textures throughout the universe. So it's a more, or rather seeing the repeated things doesn't pull you out. It's more immersive. That's the word that I was looking for. Um, the uh, developers have been talking about mocap. So if you've got a lot of characters in an yeah. area, um, so mocap is, it's big because there's a lot of detail to the movements. So what they end up doing is they reuse a lot of those mocaps. So like non-important characters, um, they're all kind of doing the same motions. Over yeah, and over I've and seen over that again. in the background in games like these. You'll see people close to you walking like humans. You'll see a main character or or your own character look incredibly detailed. And then in the background, you'll just see people walking like it's Minecraft or something. Right. Like, and, and that's just a limitation. of. So, so a lot of people are like, oh, so... Um, having all of that more RAM, it doesn't matter because it's all just a GPU performance limitation. No, no, not it's at all. not. There yeah. are two different things. There, there's some things that's GPU performance limited, and then there's something that's like RAM yes. storage limited. And and all, all of these things that I'm talking about, these are all like RAM and storage limited things that even with the same last gen GPU performance, we could get. Like more detail, larger textures, more mocap, more yeah. like more things in RAM, so you see less popping. Like there's a lot, even without increasing the GPU, there's a lot of benefits that we can see from just improving the the RAM and storage. And yeah, so that, that that's my <laughs> section of the rant. <laughs> well, yeah. So I mean, and I'll give a couple more firm examples as well. I mean, Cerny specifically goes out of his way to talk about how fast you can load two gigabytes, right? And he's doing this for right. a reason, right? So if you think about loading nine gigabytes per second, theoretically, you can load up the RAM and under, right? And you don't need to load all of it at once, probably, to boot up the game. So they're talking about loading entire games in under a second, theoretically. Like, it's the, yeah. it's like we're not talking about, oh, maybe you'll load in under a second. We're like, they've already demonstrated Spider-Man loading in under a second, and we know that DevKit had... On old hardware. Yeah. And all it had, basically, it was my understanding, by the way, is it was basically just a PS4 Pro with the new SSD bolted on top. And that yeah. SSD, they bolted on that. And this is a demonstration from a year ago, which I can put a link in mm -hmm. the description for that as well that that yeah. SSD was about half the speed of what they're working with in the final console. And so, right. no, Sony actually put in the effort to be able to move in assets and enough assets to fill the RAM in under a second, basically. And it's just a different mentality. Like, you know, and, and I, Sony wants this to be used as a giant pool of memory so that you can literally be streaming in information fast enough to do half as much work that you used to have to do. Microsoft's focusing on load times, right? Yeah. And and streaming and textures as well. Yeah. In, in my opinion, on the PlayStation 5, games developed... So games developed for the PlayStation 5, loading times won't be a thing. 
Worst case scenario, you'll see a black screen for a second and a half before it pops up. They, they, they pro- I don't they, even think that. I think it's literally yeah. no load times. Yeah, that's 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 worst case scenario. That's if they have to dump everything from RAM mm, and load in yes. everything in fresh. Which when's that going to happen? Which there's two more things I want to touch on about this two differences between the consoles and and that and that I want to get. Very clear here. This is when we start to get into my speculation. Everything I said before with the loading times and stuff, a lot of that comes from talking to developers. This part's my speculation. But um, number one, when I've heard people mention Xbox, and I I don't want to make this Xbox versus PlayStation, but I just want to make people understand the difference between the SSDs. Xbox talks about suspending three games at once. Well, they're going to have to reserve parts of the SSD for that, I'm pretty sure. Yep. And then people talk about suspending games for the PlayStation. I, I wouldn't rule out that there is no game suspend, that they just stream from the SSD. Like, that that might be a yep. foreign concept. Now, obviously, you might, you're going to have to spend some time loading it into the RAM, right? So, mm-hmm. it, But I don't see why, if they have multiple host controllers and that much like i don't you see what i'm saying i don't see why they need to really even consider suspending games well let me yeah the last thing i'll say about that is that i've heard the os works kind of like netflix to where you can load from any continue screen you've recently gone to which i don't know if that's what you were going to say which directly suggests that basically yeah that's what i was going to get into like i'm actually really excited um there's a lot of talk that there's os features in the playstation 5 that we don't know about yet and something that um so Sony really wants to focus on with the PlayStation 5 is leverage that um, storage and I.O. pipeline to bam, you're in game. Yes. So say, say you're like looking through the PlayStation 4 menu. Mm-hmm. So as it exists right now, you select your game, you know, you hit it, there's the animation that it goes to your screen, and then you see a few um, splash screens, like, oh, this is yeah, the studio yeah, yeah. that made it, this is the engine it's running on. PlayStation 4, and then you see like this animation. It's like, okay, now you're in the game. Press any button, you hit a button, and then you see a menu, and there's like options, and you can, you know, load or continue. And then it's like you go into that. So, from what I hear, what they want to do with the PlayStation 5 is get rid of all of that. Basically, they just want you to sit down, hit the game. And your character is standing there, right? It's, and your character is standing there and you can control them. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other thing to add on to that I've heard, I think, so I, I've been told that, so we know the Xbox uses reserves 3.5 gigabytes of the GDR6 for the OS operations. I've heard that the PlayStation 5s uses less than the PlayStation 4s does. Now, obviously, they're going to have to reserve some in the GDR6, I think. But I think it might be as little as one or two gigabytes, de facto giving it more RAM than you thought to. Yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible. Um, Honestly, even even without that, just uh, the amount of RAM, I, I think there's going to be a period of transition where developers kind of get used to the idea of having... That <laughs> yeah. much RAM available to them, and they might like. I, I don't expect the amount of RAM to be a bottleneck for a little while. Like, yeah, okay, it's only no. twice as much RAM, but so much of that RAM is in active use. Before, you know, they might have 
Yeah, like the oh, that's true, person yeah. playing is looking at what, one to two gigabytes worth of data and everything else is background idle data. With PlayStation 5, they can have, you know, the, the players looking at 10, 12 gigabytes of data. And then the other stuff is idle data for if you move the camera quickly or something like that. And it's just the, the speed that, um, that the storage can put assets into the game engine just that alone increases the amount of RAM available to developers so dramatically. It's totally game-changing. Yeah. Mikan Andrews writes in, and he says, given the big reason we saw the PS2 be so dominant over Xbox during this GameCube was memory bandwidth. Well, let me cut you off there, Mikan. The reason I think the PS2 won is because it came out two years before the competition and everyone... <laughs> it wasn't just one year. The PS2 came out almost two years before I think mm-hmm. the Xbox did. But anyways, he says, PS2 wasn't the strongest, but it had insane throughput. And it seems Sony is trying to recreate the same thing with the PS5 with more bandwidth. It doesn't matter what feature you lack on the hardware level since more can be done in software. What are your thoughts? And I'll go first on this. I I honestly just think what's going on with the PS5 is an evolution of the PS4 mentality. If you think about, with (laughs) with the exception of the PS3, which had its problems, the PS4... Well, I guess the PS3 kind of did this as well, but the PS4 was just like, what's the bottleneck right now? RAM is definitely a problem. Let's make sure that bottleneck isn't just gone, but completely gone. And let's give them a 500 gigabyte hard drive so that um, we can have complete open world games. And so I think the PS5 is less of an idea of like a throughput advantage, although I guess it is, but it's more of a, all right, we solved the RAM problem. What's the next problem? Storage. And before they realized how well it went when they didn't just solve the previous with the PS4, they didn't just make the RAM issue. You know, they only had half a gig of RAM, I believe, in the PS360. So, and the PS3s was segmented, so it was a huge issue. And so they said, let's not just solve it with four gigabytes. Let's solve it with eight, <laughs> eventually, is what they came right. to. That's what my Xbox yeah. said, too, with the Xbox One. And so we didn't just solve this problem. It's out of the park, gone. And I think that's just what Sony's doing again. We solved the RAM problem. Yes, PS5 is going to have more RAM. Of course it will. But the next problem is storage. So we don't just want to put an SSD. We don't just want to put a fast SSD. We want to eliminate storage bottleneck. We've eliminated RAM bottlenecks. We've eliminated processor bottlenecks. Now let's eliminate storage bottlenecks entirely from the equation. And I think that's what they were thinking. And I think the Xbox Series X is an evolution of the Xbox One X mentality, which was well-received, no matter how well it sold. People liked it. And they're just going, Xbox One X, we have a $500 budget for a console. What's the best GPU we can get? What's what's a good, you know, what's good storage? How much RAM can we fit in there? And that's just, they just min-max to PC with, of right. course, customizations. That's going to make it far outperform, I think, equivalent PCs. The only other thing I want to say before we move on to more PC talk um, is I worry that we just sound like PlayStation fanboys when we get into this. And I, I specifically tried to talk about the Xbox SSD as much as I could. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not a PlayStation fanboy. I mostly game on PC. I, I, I mean, I've done a podcast about previous consoles I've owned. They, you know, there are a lot of Nintendo ones in there. I don't, I am not a fanboy. I just, it's, 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 I really am impressed by what was talked about in the PlayStation 5. And this is an SSD podcast. So I just want to make sure everyone understands that, that Sony's presentation was mostly about their SSD. So if we have an SSD mm-hmm. podcast, how can we not talk about the PlayStation a lot? Right. It's, it's really just about availability of information. Like it's, it's entirely possible that the Xbox has 
a whole like is way more advanced on the SSD than than we're even giving it credit for. It's just mm-hmm. like the the discussion in the slides that Mark Cerny presented for the PlayStation Five give us a lot to talk about. So that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, and and there are people that go, why don't you talk about you know Xbox more often and its customizations, you know, for like the teraflops and all of that. And it's because right. and and people get people get mad when I say this. I don't have much to say. It's as strong as a 2080 Ti. I don't have much to say outside of that, right? For my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I used their website, and it works well. They have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and DieShrink gets you 3% off all software on the website, including game codes. I will reiterate, it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website, search for Windows, buy the code using whatever payment method I wanted, and they do have several options, and then I simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded Windows 10 from Microsoft's website. Save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys. These are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video. So one more time, that's cdkoffers.com. Use DieShrink for 3% off all software on the website, including Steam games and broken silicon for 25% off software. All right, now let's get to the benchmarking. Like when you look at its performance, uh, I know it has all of these things that are going to go into RDNA too, but you know, I've had 4K gaming for a while now on my PC. I, I expect the the GPU and the, the Xbox Series X to be, um, in terms of outright performance, be not quite a 2080 Ti, but in at terms launch, of no. ray tracing, in terms of ray tracing performance, oh boy, I'm expecting... At least, at least three times, if not four or more times, the ray tracing performance. I think the ray tracing in um, the the entire touring generation was just NVIDIA going, uh, we just want to get something out there right now so people can start mulling it over and get used to the idea of it being there. But it's not really going to get used. It's just like seeding sort of what could be done with it and then in the future generations we're going to follow up with a big crash and we're going to you know everyone's going to start using ray tracing let's touch on that actually because that wasn't in the script but that's something i would love to talk about what makes you think that the xbox specifically here because you know it's a more traditional comparison to pc i think compared to the playstation Mm -hmm. what, what makes you think it's going to have I think it will have better ray tracing than the 2080 Ti, but I have no number to throw at it. What makes you think it's going to be that much better? 
Uh, it really just comes down to how bad the 2080 Ti is at ray tracing. Like, <laughs> so it's more of an indictment to Turing more than a praise of the Xbox. You're saying. Ex- exactly. Like Turing, um, anyone who bought a Turing GPU for ray tracing got screwed um, because not only are there no games right now that that like really can make use of ray tracing. Um, the games that do try to make use of ray tracing, the perf- the ray tracing performance is so bad on them, just tanks your performance on the game. So most people that have it don't use it. Um, and that's not going to get better um, because in the future, so there's yeah. multiple, there's multiple different ray tracing uh implementations ways that developers can use it there's reflections there's shadows there's global illumination and i think there's even others and on on a 2080 ti it's pick one you get a toned down version of that it doesn't just work they actually have to put a lot of effort into it right Right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a lot of work for the developers to add ray tracing because, um, it's multiple added layers on, on the textures. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think actually ray tracing performance is going to sort of tie into, um, the, the storage and, and the ability to get those textures because now you can apply those multiple layers because you need to have, yeah, there's, there's more on the, textures itself that you have to do to allow it to take advantage of the ray tracing cores and actually like display what's happening. But, um, so on, on, on the 2080 TI it's, you pick one of those, you get tanked performance and it's just a terrible experience. Developers are going to want to use more than one of those yeah. and have those not tank the experience. So in order for ray tracing to be a feature on the next generation consoles that developers mm-hmm. make any kind of use of, the performance is going to have to be adequate to use at least two, if not three of those different types of um, mm-hmm. uh the strategies for improving like light and, and visuals and the performance is going to have to be good. So yeah, that idea is if, if the, if the ray tracing performance wasn't that good, then there's no point in it being there. Oh yeah. But sure. I think we are starting to hit the limits of how much you can scale rasterization performance. Once we get to about 8,000, Stream processors or 80 compute units, right? I think that's, or or not 80, I should say 128 compute units. You know, and it's, this is Amdahl's law, which is just a theoretical law. You know, if you're like, I forgot what it was. I thought it was like, if you're 99.99% good at scaling between cores, you basically get no performance gains after 8,000 cores, basically. Right. So, and I think that's what the console's tried to do. They were like, where are the diminishing returns at? They both seem to have picked about the same rasterization performance. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's the SSDs. And so I want to start talking about bringing the SSD performance to PC. I mean, like, yeah. in the short term, right, do you see there being a lot of console exclusives? Oh, 100%. Um, Basically, it comes down to all of that pipeline acceleration on on the consoles. It exists on both consoles. Um, It doesn't exist on PC. And, well, to some extent, you could use, like, 
just regular CPU cores for that. Mm-hmm. Like um, my 3950X can probably right. keep up with the PlayStation 5 through brute force that way. I mean, the CPU. It, it would probably, I, I suspect it would come close, but not quite. Well, the only thing um, I'll say is it's at 4.2 gigahertz instead of 3.5. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. But that, but it's like, funny we talk about it. It's just barely making up for it, right? Right. But, but yeah, at that point, just barely. And in order for, in order for a game developer to bring a game to PC, say a game that was developed for console to get ported to PC, in order for them to do that, they need enough people need to be, need to have hardware that can run it in order for that game to be successful. So they, they, they could put all of that energy to building that pipeline on a 3950 X and your PC would run it. And, you know, a few other thousand people's PCs would run it and that's it. And that game would absolutely tank. So we, we need either enough cores that, um, enough cores as commonplace as mainstream because again like yeah that eight core cpu that like a lot of people is currently the top end uh pc gaming cpu yeah 9900k or something yeah that that covers the console's cpu Mm -hmm. and then a little bit extra all of that io pipeline is just a bunch of overhead that we can't so we could end up seeing um, core counts on PC increase. Continue to, to balloon, yeah. Yeah, c- continue to increase that that's sort of the direction they do. And then all of that dedicated I.O. pipeline stuff, that's just implemented on CPU cores. That's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't I, just be that, though, right? And it's funny you mentioned that because yeah. I want to add two things. You know, I've had... M- a bunch of guests on by now on Broken Silicon. And yeah. the network engineer talks about higher core counts because he's like, you guys got to understand that right now, internet infrastructure is just kind of catching up a little bit with what we can do. And as we get right. everyone with gigabit internet, you have to understand, like, let's say you're, you want to stream 8K. <laughs> like, let's yeah. say you want to stream an 8K. Like, you're talking about 100 megabytes per second. So that's 100 megabytes per second of data. Your CPU is also handling on top of other things that it's doing. Right. And that's why laptops need more than four cores now, he said. And this was a year ago. And it's not just for rendering a game or the AI. It's for handling the network. And, and then the, what you're talking about now, it's funny. Hardware uh, Tim from Hardware Unboxed was just on. And he mm-hmm. talked about that too, how it's like, yeah, maybe Renoir has a strong enough CPU to keep up with the consoles short term as long as you run it in 720p. Uh, but the right. fact that the consoles are streaming and data from the SSD so fast means, no, I think APUs are going to be crippled by next-gen games. Yep. And not just APUs. Like, I think it's entirely possible that the next-gen games aimed, developed for the next-gen consoles just straight up will not be capable of running on basically any current-gen PC. Um, and that's just because of the optimizations in the pipeline that we mm-hmm. don't have on PC. That's why, I mean, in, in the article that, you know, it brought me to your attention. Yeah. Um, I think what's going to, I, I actually posited that, that it might be on Zen 2. And, and when we were talking, you, you don't think it's on Zen 2. No, and I asked guy. a couple of people and they just gave me a firm no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I, and I agree. I actually went, after I wrote that article, I went and looked at some um, 
like die block block diagrams of what's on that die, and I don't I don't see it, and I don't see space for it, so I, I don't think it's on Zen Two. But this but, is like what you're talking about, right? You're talking about like the controllers the Xbox has and the PlayStation Five has. Yeah. Let's put yeah. this on the I/O die in the future. Exactly. So like a dedicated decompression, dedicated DMA, dedicated uh, what's the term? I'll bring that up again. Well, you know what? While you're bringing that up, let me read this too, because this is a direct quote from my contact. He says, I don't think there are hidden accelerators on Ryzen right now, and I don't no. think that the IOCO processors will be on a, a separate die so easily. So this is an interesting point he puts out. If F SSDs become so fast, the reads, writes, comes ins and outs are so fast that it occupies a core, it would certainly make sense to offload this to a co-processor, but dot, dot, dot. Right. The primary benefit of a console is that it's dedicated. You know exactly how many SSDs are going to be connected on what PCI bus. If AMD were to include IO accelerators in Ryzen, how many should they add? Some people use one SSD, some people use two or more in RAID. I don't even want to think about what Epic would need for Enterprise. Then there's the software support. I assume that AMD would have to make its own NVMe Windows driver, and that would make use of accelerators who would communicate the actual NVMe drives over PCIe. Or AMD would need to provide some reference driver to SSD manufacturers to guarantee compatibility. So I throw mm -hmm. this in there because at least he seems, and I want to be clear, I agree with you. I think this is something Zen 4 may add because, I mean, it, just fundamentally, if you added this PS5-like I.O. controller on an Epic chip, that's such an advantage over Intel and Enterprise. <laughs> you right. know, but I don't know. It seems like, I guess it sounds like at very least it's going to be a lot of work to get this. <laughs> so what I think AMD is going to do um, to kind of answer a lot of that, yes, the advantage of consoles is it is a dedicated platform and it is a known quantity. Um, but what AMD, what AMD could add on to uh, their SSD is they could add... Um, hardware that is capable of accelerating up to a certain level. Yeah, you could add, you know, multiple SSDs in RAID, and that would get you very quickly diminishing returns just because mm -hmm. of how fast the hardware accelerated I/O could do. And yeah, enterprise would have its own whole set of needs. So, but like on mainstream, AMD knows that most people, maybe not most, but a lot of people. Um, that are buying their CPUs, their mainstream CPUs are gaming on them. Mm -hmm. um, so they can kind of leverage that as far as building the API and actually building the pipeline. Look at the Xbox Series X. Mm -hmm. The Xbox Series X is basically running Windows. Yeah. So, so if it AMD is literally and, running and, a Windows kernel. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So if AMD and Microsoft team up, they could just bring that pipeline to sure. support it directly to PC. And that's something I've really been hoping the Xbox does. Is a, And this is a little off subject, but I've been hoping the Xbox runs some full version of Windows for some time now. And I understand that would be a lot of work. But yeah. it's like, man, if they actually did that, that would force AMD to make sure their drivers work perfectly because you can't get blue screens on an Xbox. And <laughs> You're right. And it would force Microsoft to make sure they fully utilize next-gen hardware mm -hmm. and actually handle multi-threading well. But we'll see. It, to be honest, I don't think it's going to run full Windows anymore because they would have talked about it by now, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe they'll still show some kind of... like. 
toned down version of it. But yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, like, let me get to a reader mail here. David Del Rio says, will we see minimal specifications for PC games listed among other hardware requirements in the future, like for an SSD? Oh, yeah, probably. Um, I I think right away you're going to see um, new games just drop hard drives. So it's like you need an SSD to run this game. It can be SATA. I think like SATA is kind of the lowest common denominator right now on PC. Um, Lots and lots of people have SATA-based SSDs, and I think that's fine. Um, It'll probably run the transition games. Like so... So this is like transitioning yeah. between PS4 and next gen. I think your hard drives will still work until early yeah. 2021 right. for sure. Exactly. But I think by the end of 2021, yeah. they're going to say you need at least a SATA. And then I think by the end of next gen, yeah, I think it's going to be like, why? I mean, honestly, why not? They list how many cores you need. I think yeah. they're just going to list, you need this many gigabytes per second. I just don't think they're, again, I just don't, I don't think they're asking that much. And I and I guess I guess also just to come back here and like add on to the CPU argument, it's like, I don't know. I don't think I don't think they're just gonna completely destroy eight core CPUs right away. And I think even through 2021, your six core 12 threads at four gigahertz will probably run fine. But by the end of next gen, I think you're probably gonna need to upgrade it from that eight core again. But it's like, remember, by then, we're gonna have like 16 core Alder Lake. And Zen 4 comes out at the end of next year. Who knows? That's supposedly at least 24 cores for consumers, it sounds like. Um, and so... Yeah, I would agree with that. And who knows how many extra controllers they put on to Zen 4, if not Zen 3. I, I think the solution's going to be there by the time you need to upgrade anyways. Yeah, for sure. Another thing that's going to cook your noodle is uh, say AMD, because AMD built the hardware acceleration on on the consoles. It's easier for them to add it onto the I.O. die. On, even Zen 3, they yeah. could almost certainly Zen 4. What about Intel? Yeah. A, a lot of these next-gen games, like, okay, it could be you literally need an AMD <laughs> like, four-gen yeah. CPU to run this game, and if you've got if you've got Intel, sell your machine and buy an AMD-based system. I mean, that's that's quite the Trojan horse for AMD there. I know Alder Lake supposedly has eight cores, 16 threads of Golden Cove, and then eight cores of Atom in the background. So maybe you could handle right. some of that stuff in the background, but it's not going to be... Until 2023, Intel may have a serious problem in even running games. I mean, yeah. Right, yeah. It, the, the other thing, and I actually present this in, in my blog post, that it, it's entirely possible also that that AMD just licenses their their I/O stuff to Intel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then it doesn't matter as long as you have a CPU of a certain generation from either side. And then and then AMD is making you know that tiny little bit of dough on each on each Intel sale too. So I mean, well, we could see that happen. Well, there's a certain amount of this too, where it's like if you look at another thing I'm throwing out there, if you look at X570. You know, that has a pretty powerful controller that needs to be actively cool. It's actually the same I.O. die that's in Zen 2, which is fascinating that they just duplicated it. What a good idea. It's it's the same architecture, but I understand it's on a different um, node. I think when they started making Zen 2, this is my understanding, I could be completely wrong, 
they made it on 14 and 12 nanometer, and then pretty quickly right. they just transitioned all IO dyes to 12 nanometer. Oh, is, yeah, if you look be. at slides now, they almost always say 12 nanometer. And I believed at first, I believe at first they used 14 nanometer for the chipset because it was a little cheaper. Uh, and that's right, why it yeah. needed active cooling more often. I, I okay. think, I think. And so, but you know, eh, that's expensive. And I've seen some B550 mm -hmm. things, and I thought B550 was going to be under $100, but it still might be about 121 you know, for a B550 board. And so I think you're just seeing chipsets getting stronger. There's a chance, you know, you might just see X670 motherboards, and they're $200 because they have a lot of these controllers in them. Like, that might be a solution, too. Another way to think of it, like if you've got, if AMD continues using the same IO die for the chipset, um, you could have, you know, one copy of that acceleration on, on the CPU and one copy on the chipset and throw on a couple SSDs, make use of both of them. Who yeah. Knows? Yeah. And that's, you know, kind of something I got into. So let me, let me actually move forward to that part of the notes. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I posited in my, you know, RDNA 3 256 gigabyte video, which again, I'm not, I, I go out of my way to say this a couple of times. I'm not saying, or I don't know anything that much about RDNA 3, except that I know, and both the, I know specifically the PlayStation 5 has some things in it where, I mean, these are not, neither the Xbox nor the PlayStation 5, no, nor frankly the PS4 or the Xbox One had a default architecture, right? They are their own versions of RDNA 2. And there are some mm -hmm. things Microsoft wanted, or like, like I suspect a version of variable rate shading that the PlayStation also has, but they have their own flavor of it. That might go into RDNA 3. And then my understanding right. is there are some things that have large... Um, ramifications for VR performance in the PlayStation 5, which people keep forgetting a big part of the PlayStation 5 is going to be PSVR 2, that right. they might take for efficiently rendering VR games for RDNA 3. So there's a lot of things in these consoles that some of them might not be in, some things from RDNA 2 might not be in the consoles, but those are things they both decided we don't need for games. And right. there are some things in the consoles that might not get into PCs until RDNA 3. And I kind of saw... You know, the way the PS5 handles an SSD is potentially one of those things based on what we've talked about, how the Pro SSG already was talking about doing this with AMD in 2016. So, I mean, part of that video was, you know, maybe it's like, what, 50 bucks to put a controller and a 256 gigabyte Gen 4 on a graphics card. And if you do that, you can get, you can lower latency substantially. But I think they're going to have to do something else with putting storage next to the processor as well. And that maybe there will right. just be, you know, as PCs handle things, it's just brute force. The things that the graphics card references a lot, maybe that's on the SSD on the graphics card. So that devs mm -hmm. know every AMD RDNA 3 graphics card has this much of the storage that's fast enough and it's on the graphics card. And then also you can reference stuff from an SSD next to the processor at the same time. You can also reference stuff from, you know, the standard drive. I think that's that could just be how this all works out is just more. <laughs> There's a lot of potential benefits. Yeah, I watched your um, RDNA 3 256 gigabyte uh, video. And yeah, for sure, if they did something like that, there's a lot of benefits to it. Mm -hmm. um, there's one major sort of flaw that I see with that. Though. I know. It was an idea I threw at the law. So go ahead. What's the flaw? <laughs> Adoption. Yeah, I know, right? And I think I touched on that probably not enough. But that's... <sighs> 
if they, so two things, right? Two things I would say about that is I don't think it costs a lot. It's just, it's not a big deal to spend an extra 50 bucks to make a $700 graphics card, now a $750 graphics card with 256 gigabytes of storage. But then what yeah. do you do about the $100 graphics cards? Like, and right. how much storage do you give them, right? Like, do you give them, does everyone get it or? And, and the other thing is, what about NVIDIA? Because the big issue with Radeon is even when Radeon is ahead, when mm. it makes no sense to buy an NVIDIA card over a Radeon card... Kepler. <laughs> people still just flock to the NVIDIA cards. Like, I just literally yesterday, um, one of my good friends, you know, he knows I'm really into PC, and he's got a roommate. He was looking at a, a new graphics card. He's like, so my roommate's um, looking at buying a new graphics card. Should you get a 1660 Ti, a 2060 Super, or a 2070 Super? <laughs> and I was like... Why not a 5700 for the price of that 2060? Uh, right, like yeah. literally for, for a 5700 uh, XT, he, which is the price of the, the 2060 Super, yeah. he could get 2070 Super Performance. Why, I know. I wouldn't... But but they don't think of it. They they don't even check. They just know you buy you buy Nvidia. So mm-hmm. they, they they don't look. And and honestly, it was this like it used to be the same for me. Like back in the day, I bought a me too. A yeah. GT, I, I bought a GTX nine seventy. Um, Want to know how much time I spent looking at at Nvidia? <laughs> You mean AMD? You spent zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah, looking at looking at AMD. I I did not look at or consider any. AMD GPU. I didn't even know what their performance was at. I couldn't. I couldn't answer a single question. My first just... graphics card was a 560 Ti, and I didn't know AMD made graphics cards. Basically, when I bought yeah. that in 2012, yeah. and then I got a 6950, and I'm like, oh, this has double the VRAM for what seems like a similar price. Oh wow, this works really well. And I never went yeah. back to Nvidia since then. Right. But I think, yeah, I think AMD is getting better. I guess two things. I think AMD is getting better at this. And I think word of mouth is mattering more and more and more in this interconnected world than it did even just 10 years ago. Like you see, I see it, but like, you know, but yeah, NVIDIA's got a mindshare advantage. So there's that. I mean, your friend talked about that. And I have friends who've, who do the same. And I just also think that NVIDIA is not stupid and they want to bring you more performance. So they're probably going to end up doing something similar to AMD. Like I already know Ampere supposedly has um, tensor accelerated VRAM compression so that you take up less space in the VRAM by compressing dynamically with the tensor cores and greater memory compression. And so right there, that's something. And I mean, like, so, I mean, the 3080 is going to have 10 gigabytes of RAM, but there's a rumor they may allow AIBs to sell 20 gigabyte versions. Okay, well, 20 gigabytes. So what's going to happen when we get to five nanometer cards in a few years? I mean, are we going to be already at like 64 gigabyte cards? I mean, I don't know that you need that for the VRAM. You could get to the point where it's like, PC solution isn't eliminating load times necessarily, at least not overall, but it's like you just spend 10 seconds before the game's playable and you load the whole goddamn game in the VRAM in case you need right. to do that. So I think that could just be NVIDIA's solution as they just added tiered storage similar to RDNA 3. You know, the low end cards are going to have problems. I don't know what else to say besides that, though. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. mean, we saw that though, again with the PS360 generation where you had these low end cards that just couldn't. Just going to run games. Yep. So I guess let me bring up this reader mail here. Fatboy Diesel 
and Andrew Martin write, and, and they say basically the same thing. I wonder, would Intel's opt-in SSDs or eventually MRAM ever be MRAM ever be a sufficient stopgap solution for pipeline issues on PC SSDs? We need to go no. to that direction. So you don't think so? No, not at all. Um, I think Optane, all it is, uh, so it's it's fast storage. So, you know, good on them for making fast, like X point. It's extremely low latency. That's, yes. that's its biggest thing. It's, it's latency is, in terms of speed, in terms of IOPS, it's, um, actually, when it came out, its IOPS was fast, but now it's not fast. No, it's like, not. Your, no. your SSD outperf- outperforms every Optane SSD in both uh, bandwidth and, and IOPS, mm-hmm. but but Optane has that latency. It's got almost RAM-like latency, which is a benefit in some workloads, but in gaming, it's... I. It's, I don't think it's ever going to be a big deal. So on the low end, what Optane did is they they were like, oh, here's this 16 gigabyte, this 32 gigabyte Optane little card thing. And what that's for is to accelerate your hard drive, mm-hmm. which if you already had an SSD, it's almost entirely pointless. Yeah, which they still try to bundle those into like HP NVs and they, it doesn't really do anything. <laughs> so so as as far as accelerating the pipeline the optane doesn't do that because the pipeline is processor based you need active processing to accelerate the pipeline not just another storage solution yeah and i guess i do want to say this about optane you know one of my best friends um he's actually a patron now as well he would tell like i remember giving him this spiel in like 2016 or 15 i want maybe 2015 where i first heard the announcement for 3D X point. And I remember just hyping it up. Like they say it's a thousand times faster than an SSD. This is the next big thing. But then I right. remember half a year later, they gave another presentation. And instead of showing a thousand, they showed a hundred. I'm like, whoa, what? You just <laughs> lost a ma- an order of magnitude. What's this? And then they said 10 times. It just didn't pan out is what I'm saying, right? Optane isn't as fast as they told us it would be. They're, they're designing it, and what, what they're thinking as they're designing it, it's like, oh, if, if this technology pans out, like, we might be able to hit this. So there's the, there's these targets during during the design process that they're aiming for. Um, it's it's the same thing as why when they were um, building Zen 2, like, or not uh, the first Zen architecture, mm-hmm. what, like, compared to Bulldozer, I was really, really invested in that. I was so excited for Zen 2. Yeah. And, like, I was following every single thing that possibly came out because I just wanted some competition to Intel. Yeah. Freaking finally, because I was so sick of their, like, oh, yeah, this one's, like, 5% percent faster, faster than the yeah. previous well, Screw off. Give me something better. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, so I was following Zen um, in its release, and they were originally like, okay, we're targeting 40% faster. We're targeting 40% faster. And then it comes out, and they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, that 40 turned into 52% because 40% was the target, but what we actually hit was a lot better. Yeah. So, like, you're welcome, guys. We just we made this awesome architecture. So that was... Optane is the opposite of that. They had those design targets, and instead of, you know, Zen exceeded that, Optane was like, oh, that's not going to work, so they dialed it back. Uh, oh, crap, even that's not going to work, they dial it back. And yeah, and I, I don't know so where I see I don't know where I see Optane going. Like I said, I was an Optane hype man before it came out, but I started toning it down when I the more info came out, and, mm-hmm. and at this point, it just seems like faster SSDs 
are just better than anything using Optane. And maybe Optane will get faster, but I don't really see it being a RAM replacement sooner than SSDs could be just because the latency is there and that's good. But it just seems like the bandwidth is nowhere near what they thought they'd be able to scale it to. Just nowhere near. And I don't, and if that changes, I'll change my opinion. And I basically say the same thing about MRAM, which I know like Sony's working on or something. I know Micron and IBM have their own solution to compete with Optane. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of those will pan out, maybe. But until they do, right, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say, except they're not now. One, one thing that I think could happen with uh, Intel GPUs is they could do that SSD idea like that you had for Radeon mm. 3, except the Intel GPUs on the high end are going to have that extremely low latency um, cross-point storage. Yes, and that'll, maybe. that'll be a really good accelerator for that. And it's also possible that they create... Um, th- there was rumors of this a little while ago that there would be some sort of like 4D cross-point that they were calling it mm. that would basically be... Um, like a lot faster, but also a lot more expensive. So you wouldn't be able to have an SSD that's 4D cross point, but it's basically a like like an L4 or 5 cache, right? Like almost like a DDR6 replacement in in their SSDs. And if Intel could leverage hmm. that oh, for see. their SSDs, they could, you know, have those multiple layers of of that like you know uh, 4D cross point as a replacement for GDDR6. Plus that, so a lot of people might not know this, right? 3D crosspoint. A lot of SSDs come with like I know my first Samsung drive had DDR2 on it, like 64 yeah. megabytes of DDR2 on there as a cache, and never. And you know, mm-hmm. there's there's flash storage as a as a cache on hard drives as well. And yeah. so yeah, you're you're saying like maybe they could put this 4D crosspoint on their SSDs as the cache that will make their SSDs feel and perform way better. Sorry, go on. Basically, yeah, um, yeah. So, so that would allow, and honestly, like it's Intel; it's their own, um, yeah. It's their own silicon; it's their own architecture. So they're not paying any licensing for that, and they they can build it in house. That can help bring down the costs for delivering higher performance GPUs. It's entirely possible. And one thing I do want to say about um, those those storage caches yeah. um, on, on SSDs, those are super common. And so there's different tiers of, of flash. Like not all flash storage is made equal. You, you get no. <laughs> like SLC, which is like the old, the very first uh, SSDs that came out, they were all at uh, SLC, which is incredibly, incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also incredibly expensive. I, to, to my knowledge, you can't even buy an, SS, an SLC SSD anymore. They don't make them. They're just too expensive. I haven't seen one for years. Uh, they, but, they're probably out there, but I don't know. If, yeah, they might be in like this super niche enterprise. Which is like, that's, that's like single that, cell or whatever is what that Yeah, that's for, single right? cell. So then after that, they came out with MLC, which w- was two cell. Mm-hmm. Well, MLC, it means multi-level um cell but um it it was effectively just you know two uh two bits per cell right yeah um so it was slower but they could like double the sizes yeah and then after that they came out with tlc and tlc was still really fast um but then it's like but it's still it's slower yet but then they can make more size and then they have this qlc which is slower i'm told and and qlc is like almost hard drive slow 
it doesn't it doesn't have the latency and seek issues that hard drives have okay. but like in in terms of just like streaming bandwidth it's just it's painfully slow so you see a lot of these um, sata ssds you, use that now right yeah uh, well actually most uh sata ssds are still tlc okay um but there are some there are actually some NVMe drives, like the Intel 660P, I think, mm-hmm. um, is a QLC drive. So people are like, oh, wow, it's, you know, this this one terabyte drive that's so cheap, but it's QLC. But it has a cache. It has a DRAM cache, and that allows it to hit those, um, like, NVMe speeds in the short mm. term. But if you try to access larger chunks of data, basically anything that's not stored in that cache, then you're like getting hard drive level throughput. So there's and then and then now they're making PLC, which Mm -hmm. is even slower, but it's it's a really good solution for like it's basically a hard drive replacement. It's It's, it's better than a hard drive, though. Yeah, I mean, I still back up data to a hard drive, you know, for archiving all of my old files. And Mm -hmm. I got to say, I got it because it was about half the cost per gigabyte. I still got Mm -hmm. a two terabyte hard drive for backing up, but I regretted it when I started using it. I'm like, oh, I forgot how much slower these damn things are. It takes hours to back up my info. Yeah. All of these things will have the main advantage over the hard drives of those seek times, those IOPS, just the, the, the... fact that it has to physically move that latency that's introduced is so atrocious on hard drives like everyone wants to get off hard drives because they're so slow even and it's more consistent right because with hard drives it's like sometimes when i'm moving my files they're really quick but then randomly depending on where it saved it a hard drive will just take forever to do something so simple exactly um, and you, yeah, you get the consistency and even like, I would not, I, I haven't seen benchmarks on PLC, but I would suspect that a hard drive is capable of faster sequential reads and writes, mm-hmm. um, than these PLC drives are, but you don't have that latency, those IOPS, those IOPS issues that come into play. Um, so it's just like it's a very different technology with its own set of advantages and disadvantages that honestly, overall, I think just, yeah, it's it's probably still going to be better for a lot of things than hard drives, just because that IOPS is such a major bottleneck. on And soon drives. cheaper, too. That's the thing when you think about yeah, I don't even know yeah, how they're making cheap. these spinning disks cheap. They're so incredibly complex compared to just. Cheaper flash, guys. <laughs> like it, it yeah. keeps getting cheaper. So I think we answered that <laughs> pretty uh, substantially. That for yeah, now, right. like new things like Optane and MRAM exist, but until we see proof they can do anything better and at a price that's reasonable, I don't think we're placing any bets on that being the solution. Because it again, and it also has to be done for a price people can afford. But so I think I got a few more reader mails here to just round out the episode. I think. Um, well, let me ask you this. So Carbon Cry writes in and he says, how significant is the role of software in high-performance SSDs with multiple tiers? To which I will say my contact just said one word or two words, insanely important. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was going to say yes. That's, that's what I was going to say. Like it's um, the software is the, the, the pipeline. So yeah, you can have the hardware accelerating the pipeline, but to make use of that, um, the software has to match it, has to be able to fully utilize it. 
And on the PS5, um, like they've spent years working on that. Mm-hmm. And that's why... And making like, it easy to use for developers. Again, exactly. developers say it's yeah. easy to use, guys. They're, and right. same with the Xbox as well. That, that, that's why my suggestion for bringing it to PC is if AMD and Microsoft, you know, work together on it because Xbox ha- has... Or, uh, AMD has the hardware because yes. they built it for the Xbox, but Xbox has the software because they built it for the I Xbox. I know, that's so, why. So if Microsoft can just port that to Windows, then we get the, the software and the hardware faster, and then we can iterate on that on, on, both, on both fronts. So yes, software, crucially, crucially important. And that's one thing I would say is one thing, the thing that excites me the most about the next-gen Xbox, because I am a PC gamer, I'm predominantly a PC gamer, the thing that makes me so excited about the Xbox is the ramifications there are with AMD and Microsoft working so closely together that I think, you know, I'm not that interested in an Xbox console in general ever since they got rid of exclusives unless it benefits PC gaming. And I think... Both their work with Sony and especially Microsoft is going to profoundly benefit PC gaming. I think it's going to be a rocky couple of years, but Mm -hmm. after that, we're going to have like a so much better experience. Yeah, it's going to be a rocky couple of years because there's going to be console exclusives out of necessity because devs want to make use of that technology in the consoles. And it takes time to adopt that in PC. But I think once PC gets that technology, Microsoft's going to start porting over a lot of those consoles that PC gamers missed, and they'll get that opportunity to play them on PC. Yeah. And so I guess a couple more things, and this one gets a little off subject, but I think you'd be interested to talk about this briefly. So Josh Law writes in and he says, why don't we see more PCBs with things mounted on both sides? And if it were to become more possible common, could there be cost savings in addition to possible space savings or increased density when it comes to SSDs, motherboards, and GPUs? Um, so I'm not uh, an engineer, so I, I, can, I, can, I can speculate on this point. Um, but I think the main reason that we don't see um, PCBs with things printed on both sides is literally just cost. Me, because yeah. like I, I think they kind of build it like this. So in order to get it on the other side, then they have to like build the hardware and like the, the manufacturing process to then flip it over in a way that protects the stuff that's already there. They can't just like slap it down on a piece of metal and then and then start printing it on that side. But but you do see some of that already. Like there's you oh yeah, motherboards where like where's where's the M.2 port? Oh, it's mounted on the back. Like particularly in ITX motherboards, you see that a lot. Um, well, well, it's but, yeah, it's usually out of it's usually out of necessity when they do it because it costs more. Like I know the PS4 originally had four gigs of RAM, then they went to eight, and how they do it? Well, they put they put the chiplets on both sides, <laughs> right? And that's how they solved that problem. And I know my ITX motherboard had an M.2 on the back of it because that next to where you mount the bracket for the liquid cooler, just because that's where they could fit it on an ITX motherboard. One thing I'll add to this too, I don't know if you saw this, but it's an interesting thing to bring up. Sony patented a form of like 3D cooling solution (laughs) that's starting to emerge now and circulate on Mm. a lot of rumor sites. And it has like a cooling mated on both sides of the PCB with pipes going through the PCB to exchange heat back and forth. And I know, I think when people see 2.2 gigahertz, 
there's a lot of people doubting that's real. And everything I'm told is, no, <laughs> the PS5 really is running at 2.2 gigahertz, 99.9% right. of the time. Right. And if it needed better cooling, they're going to pay for better cooling. I'd say the same of Xbox. I think it's 2020. We're done. We're not getting overheating consoles, guys. Right. Like, Something something that I did hear um, about the, like, basically the reason, um, th this is entirely rumor yeah, speculation, yeah. but what I heard was the reason that PlayStation hasn't revealed the appearance of the console yet is because they it's so innovative, they're worried that if they show off, uh, like, a, hmm. a prototype then investors are going to drop Sony stock because they're like, oh, there's no way they can mass produce that. So we think the generation's going to fail because they can't mass produce that. So Sony is waiting until they have a production mass produced yes, unit yes, that yes, they yes. can show and say, yes, not only is this thing like innovative and special and, and unique, but this is the mass produced unit. This is how much it costs us to make it. This is how much we're selling it for. We know that because we have it and it's done. <laughs> well, that's something I want to touch on. I'm glad you brought that up because everyone, there's a lot of rumors going around with regards to the PlayStation that are, are just false. I know they're false because I talked to people a year before any of this stuff even came out. They were always always targeting greater than two gigahertz. They were right. always targeting that for yeah, years. They, they wanted to for multiple reasons. And, and, and I know, and again, you know, they haven't shown any games. So I have to keep emphasizing until they show games, for all we know, they are full of shit. But I mean, at the very least, I've been told for a couple of years that they've been targeting greater than two gigahertz because they see that as the greatest way to linearly scale performance and make backwards compatibility easy. It's not just about the backwards compatibility, though, that they wanted to. They wanted to hit up to 2.3 gigahertz. And the problem with right now and not showing anything is I think the dev kit wasn't what it was going to look like, but it was close and everyone took a dump on how that looks. And I want to agree. I think the dev kit looks, I think it looked kind of cool for a dev kit actually, but I think yeah. if, that, if that was the final console. Most, most dev kits are kind of like bland boxes and it's had this like really interesting. Sort yeah, of it looked like design. a V8 engine or something, which was kind of cool. But if I have to put that in front of my TV or on my desk, it looks like shit. <laughs> So I think Sony is fundamentally redesigning at least the exterior of the console. Could be. And, and so there's a lot of sourcing problems with that. Additionally, I know there's GDR6 shortages that they expect. And so a lot mm. of this last-minute cost-cutting and worry about supply is just, can we make sure we have enough for, you know... I mean, think about it. They have dual gigabyte chiplets, so that's eight. Eight two-gigabyte yeah. chiplets of GDR6. So that's eight times they want to sell 7 million consoles by March. That's a lot of logistics to nail down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I know they were also initially intending to go with 16 gigabit per second or 18 even for the final console. And I really hope they bump up the bandwidth again. Not, needless to say, a lot of these logistics problems are just total supply and the design of the consoles box, I believe. Right. And yeah. I don't, think the cooling's as expensive as people think. It's just like, like I heard it's like 10 bucks. <laughs> like people have, uh, I think a lot of people misunderstand how cheap the components that go into their PCs really are. 
Yeah. Now I have one last reader mail here, and it's from Dominique Cock, and he says, PCI Gen 6 will have 80, what is it, 8064? He says GT per second. I think he might mean, unless uh, I'm... Giga, giga tran- maybe mega transfers. Yeah. Anyways, PCI Gen 6 should be four times Gen 4, I believe. So he says, what does a PC and gaming world with these sorts of speeds look like? When will Earth-sized worlds be viable? I mean, a Gen 6 4 terabyte drive slapped on a GPU <laughs> might do the trick. Thoughts, comments, are there any limitations on the horizon to prevent this? Well, I'd say number one, cost. I'd say number two, No Man's Sky already has more than an Earth-sized world, but that's through trickery. Right. So, so when you you can get um, Earth-sized worlds, there ba- there's basically no limitation to the size of the universes that you can create through procedural generation, um, because that's sure. not storage intent, and that's not storage intensive. It's processor intensive, and that's fine. We've got lots of processing power relative to the speed of our storage. But as we increase the density of the textures, and we actually make a world look and feel like something like the Earth. We need a lot more than that. How much more than that? I can't say. I don't know what the limitations are. I don't know. Like, I could guess, but your guess is yeah. as good as mine. Yeah, I mean, outside of procedurally generated worlds, which I mean, I want to, I'm going to be honest, guys, the biggest limitation I think to an Earth sized world is the ability for developers to make it in under 100 years. I mean, the amount of effort it would take to make a world that big. But I mean, I don't know. When you look at the PS5's SSD, I mean, it can it can stream in the assets in under a second. So I think you're already kind of removing that bottleneck. And at least in terms of loading with the Xbox, I mean, yeah, again, so I don't know. Earth-sized, I don't know. But I think we're going to get worlds that feel Earth-sized next-gen mm-hmm. already. Yeah, I mean, Star Citizen, honestly, is making a lot of progress in that, even with the, the hard drive limitation. Because they're they're taking um, sort of I mean honestly any open world game that you have they heavily use procedural generation to make that world just like they're not placing mm. every leaf on every tree that would be insane they're they're all using procedural generation but it's a matter of how much they're using the procedural generation and how compressed that procedural generation tech can be with Star Citizen they're they're building out these huge worlds um, so, so No Man's Sky was just like completely 100% yes. procedurally generated that there was no artist like the, the artist you know would test things and see how it looks and and tweak the procedural generation but with star citizen it's like they're making these huge worlds that are like a combination of procedural generation and artist driven so the artist is saying okay this has got to be here this has got to be here but they're like painting it with this really broad procedural generated Brush, brush stroke. yeah yeah and then and then there's um areas where they intend you know areas in cities where players are running around they're they're using smaller and smaller and smaller brushes um but it's all still procedurally generated fundamentally how the tech works and that's going to continue on in the future and we're that's the path that we're going to mm. see and and the more the the faster the storage can be the more textures, the more lifelike, the more things that um, we're going to be able to see happening, the the finer the brushes, the the procedural generation dev artists can use to, you know, say, hey, I want this 
thing to look this certain way. Like mm-hmm. they'll be able to do that more and more and more as time progresses. Um, like I, I would even go so far as to say is we've been able to make, uh, you know, a world size playable area for probably 20 years. Minecraft just, is. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's just at that time, the level of detail on that global scale yes. would just be tiny. Which is why, right, Red Dead Redemption, I mean, GTA 5 to a lesser extent, but Red Dead Redemption 2 yeah. impressed me so much. Is I don't know, have you played that game? I have not. I've heard it's really good, though. Uh, yeah. Well, when I played it, I mean, the reason I was impressed is it's the only open world game I've played. And GTA 5, again, you get this a little bit, but it felt like every square foot wasn't procedurally generated. Every random encounter, every enemy you run into, there would be these little lines they would have, these little things where it felt like it was a linear experience and quality, except it was the West. And that I've never seen a game of that level of detail, including voice acting. But you know, for instance, yeah, I know GTA really I know GTA 5, I heard GTA 5 had 50,000 pages of text for the scripts. That's how much they had to write for that level of detail. Wow. And I know it cost them half a billion dollars to develop that game. I don't, and I wow. believe Red Dead Redemption 2 is like 400, 400 million dollars. And that's what it takes just to get that, guys. I think this is when we're going to start rambling because we've been talking for way too long. But I, I yeah. really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, I really think this was a everything I wanted it to be in terms of hitting all of the main points of like why it matters, why we Mm -hmm. didn't get benefits before from SSDs, why we will in the future, how the consoles differ and how they differ not from each other, just that, but also from PC. I think no matter how you dice it, both consoles are going to have no problems running 4K60 Ultra Ray Tracing. I, I really don't think so. I think Maybe the PlayStation has an open world advantage. But, you know, I've already seen... I, I, I mean, I think the Xbox is going to have, in linear games and walking simulators, the ability to maybe even do 8K. I mean, as long as you don't have to touch the other memory segment, I could see... Yeah, maybe. I mean, 52 RDNA 2 compute units and a 320-bit bus. That's a powerful graphics card. And I, and I guess the last thing I'll say, too, is I just... I really think that even if it's rocky for PC for a while, I mean, this happens sometimes and they will bring it to PC though. It's not like PC gaming's dead, you guys. Yeah. I mean, that's most of the market, so they're not going to abandon it. We we might just have a period of some of the games don't get released on PC right away. And and honestly, something we could also see, I, I didn't mention this earlier, is a lot of the games that are you know, created and tooled for consoles and will make use of that storage, they could take those games and release them on PC if they just tool how, um, you know, maybe reduce some of the the texture quality. Like, they can rework it so that it works on the platform and we can still get them on PCs. But they just might yes. look a little bit better on console. And it might take time. So it might be on console for like half a year to a year. Will they rework it to get it working on PC? Well, I think that pretty much does it. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss? Nope. I think that wraps it up. All right. And why don't you plug yourself one more time for where people can find you? 
first, I want to just absolutely thank you so much for this oh. opportunity to talk on your thing. You know, two weeks ago, I like I had no connections. I was just, you know, random guy in my basement. So thank you for the opportunity to. You wrote a good blog uh, post. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Um, but yeah, so that blog post, you can find me on uh, Meyer Tech Rants at blog or dot blogspot.com. I am on Twitter. I'm on Patreon. Look, look up uh, Meyer Tech Rants. And if, if you really feel like it, I have some really old videos on YouTube under that name, too. If you really feel like looking those up, they're oh, kind of bad. So. Maybe. A, do you want me to put it in the description or not? Then? No, no. <laughs> oh, OK, they'll have to find it themselves then. Yeah, you'll have to find it yourselves. There are some some very out of date YouTube videos under that name. But Meyer Tech Rants, that's who I am. Thank well, you very much. you don't want to see. I've deleted a lot of them, actually, is my early YouTube videos. <laughs> but even if you go to the ones that I think are keepers, and I'm holding up parentheses with my fingers mm-hmm. there, uh, the quality is just, I go back and look at it, and I'm like, oh my God, what is this? What am I doing here? Yeah. Right. But yeah, we all start somewhere. So yeah, thank you yep. for coming on. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe I'll have you on again. This was pretty fun. Great. Thanks. I'd love to come on again. So let me know. <laughs> all right. Have a good day. YouTube. Bye. Bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lennon Jims, Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Kwari, Frederick Lau, James Crasta, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Craig Renegar, John Bible, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Genkilo, Batboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, 
Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sadler Sather, Richard Cohagon, Alethro, Stellos, Gaden Pignell, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, XO, Tiwani Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Edward Huff, Allie Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Jonathan, Drita Full, Evan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Dewar, Carol P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam McArthur, TSPCFS, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Total Silo, and Blake. And thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>